exposing free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Friday, the 14th of October, year of our Lord, 2022. Day 944 of the greatest psychological operation in history. Tony Arterburn filling in for the great David Knight. It's also Friday, so I'm simulcasting this on my radio program. Transmitting worldwide on Worldwide Christian Radio, as well as 9.30 a.m. The Answer, San Antonio. I'm in studio with Beans the Brave, who just joined me off camera. You might have caught her. She's uh, she got a little bed here behind my desk. Helps helps keep the show safe from woodland creatures and intruders and bad vibes. I'll see if I can get Beans on the the program today. Somebody asked about her yesterday, and I forgot. So we'll see if we can do that. But we've got a great show for you. I don't have all the usual suspects. I don't have all of my usual guests. None of my friends could come out and play. So we're gonna have uh, Guard Goldsmith will most likely join us here. In the second hour, maybe the third, we'll see. I'm going to open up phone lines, so it's going to be fun. I've got, I've got articles today, and I have a bunch of listicles. I have ones like you know the the five uh, ways that you can fight back against the central bank digital currency, and then there's uh, a list of the safest places in the U.S. Uh, during Armageddon. We'll go over that. Uh, a little bit of political news, not that I want to cover that much. We'll we'll jump right into some headlines. And I wanted to say, I was thinking this more, I've, I've said this before hosting for David, uh, but you know, the, the book, the 48 laws of power by Robert green, the first rule and the first law, I guess, is that you should never outshine the master. You should never try to one up the person that you're an understudy of. Well, I can't do it. So even if I wanted to violate the rule, I couldn't outshine the master and you guys, uh, I love your support. I appreciate everybody who's, uh, uh, tuning in and on the Rockfin chat, all you guys over there and all the, the D live folks and the Twitter folks. I appreciate you. We're, we're going to bring it in for a soft landing. We'll keep the, we'll keep the audience together while David is, is, uh, in Texas and, uh, Travis's uh, wedding is going on. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all about that. And, uh, I sent, uh, Travis a little something yesterday from, uh, wise wolf and the Arterburn family, and we just wish them well. So, uh, if I have any updates, I'll let you know. Let's jump into some headlines, and I don't want to stay here too long because I think most of this stuff is irrelevant. Uh, I try to care. I really do, folks. I really try to. I used to be really invested in politics, and then I just discovered that it is a false paradigm. It's the left-right paradigm, 
Uh, you go back and forth. You get the same results, the Hegelian dialectic, but it's intel, so you have to cover it. But this is the headline of Drudge. January 6th subpoenas Trump. There's a ban in audio bombshell, and the Supreme Court denies Donald Trump. Uh, I guess he was getting a stay or some kind of override on the Mar-a-Lago raid, which, again, not in, in light of everything that's affecting us right now, everything that's, that we're facing, is this really something that we should care about? I don't know. The, uh, the regular networks and the Newsmax and the Fox News, this is a real big deal. And, of course, you have the other side. Looks like uh, Liz Cheney's going to get to call Donald Trump and subpoena him. Uh, is he going to show up? Is there a precedent for that? Uh, I don't think he will. Um, there's also like a little headlines on Drudge here about how the Oath Keepers and other right-wing groups were coordinating during, during January 6th. Yeah. I'm sure that they were. I'm sure it was a it was a real big coordination because that's what an insurrection looks like, right? Unbelievable. Uh, but they're still rolling with this. And you wonder at what level to do the people that are carrying out this January 6th what <laughs> whatever it is, this this boondoggle. Do do they really believe it? Do they really believe that we were in danger like General Milley said of losing our constitution? Because, you know, QAnon shaman and some other people got it, you know, and the one guy got to sit in Nancy Pelosi's desk or something. Uh, did, I mean, again, if you know anything about the continuity of government, if you know anything about how power uh, is consolidated, it's not in a building. You could take a building all you want. It has to do with command structure, the codes. Again, uh, there's no power in a building. And uh, if that was the case, then we would have just occupied all of Saddam's buildings in Iraq and the entire war would have been over. There would have been no terrorism, right? There would have been, there'd have been no uh, uprisings. Yeah, exactly. And General Milley knows that. He gave testimony, and uh, I just remember watching that going, this guy is a stone-cold liar. He, he knows that, the, that, that we were in no danger of losing our government or losing the Constitution or losing anything. But they're going to continue with this narrative because it helps them. As I was telling uh, Gar Goldsmith yesterday, I said, we ought to come up with the, somebody ought to write a fake article and see how many people will take the bait for it that climate change causes right wing extremism <laughs> or, or that climate change causes, uh, you know, right wing nationalism or whatever or conservatism. And, uh, you know, that, that way they can't say that uh, that climate change is dissipating. As it keeps getting worse, there's more right-wing nationalism. There's nothing they can really do. I think that would be a conundrum. I'd like to see them try to solve that puzzle. But that's pretty much the headlines. We'll come back and take a look. Uh, of course, you know we're still dealing with the possible uh, World War III scenario, which uh, I'm very nervous about. We'll talk a little bit about that today. I covered that on Wednesday. Uh, but you guys know I'm I'm paying close attention to what's happening in Ukraine. Well, I've also got an article on uh, Zelensky, and uh, the American people are starting to really be skeptical of this welfare king. It's <laughs> really just, I mean, uh, a bi- you know, a billion here, a billion there. Sooner or later, you're talking about real money. The guy's got like $76 billion from the United States of America and other Western powers, uh, but he needs more. He's, he's got he's got to have more. Um, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Kremlin officials warn of a catastrophic World War Three. Of course, they are. Uh, this is about national survival for Russia uh, could wipe out five billion people, they said. Well, yeah, 
Nuke bombers 20 miles from NATO border, Americans' fears surge. Well, isn't that the point? Aren't we supposed to be afraid? Isn't that the favorite uh, state of being that the ruling elites want you in? Just fear, unadulterated fear. So you'll, you know, stay home, stay safe. You'll follow the plan. <laughs> well, and by the way, there's an article up on technocracy.news we will definitely get to about Pfizer and your friends over at Pfizer and Big Pharma and uh, the transmission of COVID-1984. And what, what did they know? When did they know it? Uh, were they really focused on warp speed or your safety? We'll, we'll find out. There's an article up on technocracy.news. All right. So just steering away from the main headlines, I thought I'd start with a little economic data. And one of my favorite things is to see which one of the people in the controlling elite, which one of them breaks rank first. Like one of the people I watch is, is Jamie Demon, I mean Diamond of JP Morgan. And he's, a, he's interesting because I know he's, if whatever he's saying is somewhat controlled opposition, but I'm wondering why they get him to say it first. Uh, and the, one of the things I, I've noticed about him was that he's the first banker or bankster. I've ever seen or heard of in the modern era who was warning of like uh, what he called it an economic superstorm. He's been worrying. He's been warning people, I guess, uh, out in the open about market crashes, about liquidity crash. Um, you know, again, economic superstorm downturns, all this stuff. That's not what bankers usually do at that level. Anybody knows anything about history they cheerlead to the end, even after the end. It's it's been interesting to watch him because this is I'm I'm like what what is the purpose of this breaking ranks? Because again, the reason that the, this is the largest bank in the United States, why would you signal anything that might cause a withdrawal of deposits? That's a great question, isn't it? I mean, why again? That's why the the banks usually cheerlead all the way to the end and past it because they need to because the stability is. In the deposits. That's why Franklin Roosevelt declared a banking holiday after he was inaugurated on March 4th, 1933, right? So it's interesting to watch. And uh, we're going to look at something that Jamie Dimon is saying now. This is Zero Hedge. He says, This is effing war. Jamie Dimon slams Biden, begging Saudis for oil, says investors don't give a, well, <laughs> a crap, let's put it that way, about ESG. That is environmental social governance, which is weird because because this, again, Jamie Dimon, head of the largest bank in the U.S., uh, BlackRock is the one pushing ESG. There's no way that he is, is he on the outs with BlackRock or the other people that are pushing ESG? This doesn't make any sense. Three days, three days after Jamie Dimon sparked a uh, market-wide sell-off, which makes more sense, which took stocks to uh, fresh 2020 lows after he predicted a U.S. recession six to nine months, citing drivers including rising interest rates, persistent inflation, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and warned stocks could drop another 20%. The J.P. Morgan CEO, who is expected to report earnings tomorrow and hopefully clarify why his bank refuses to move its deposit rate to 0.01 in the process, keeping $2.2 trillion in liquidity, Locked inside the overnight funding facility. Would that also be the repo market? He doubled down today saying the Fed can't cool the red hot economy without bringing on a recession. 
So again, what are we looking at here? Did you guys know that after 60 Minutes did a thing on this? During the uh, Great Recession, 08 going into 09, a lot of bank failures, right? That's when they did more consolidation. The The Fed came in, did TARP, and a lot of the big banks got, I mean, like Wells Fargo, uh, JP Morgan, all the rest, right? Bank of America. But there was something that happened uh, very quietly. Uh, these banks that couldn't pass the stress test, they didn't have liquidity. The FDIC would send in teams of people at night. I mean, again, the banks would close. So your local branch, like a Wachovia or whatever, your local branch, the people that you would see there, like if you went in on a, on a Friday, Right. The, by Monday, they'd be completely new people and they'd all be wearing uniforms, but everybody would have been let go. And the bank was taken over by the FDIC itself. Do you know why? Because there was a massive bank failure. Now, the reason that they do that, that they go in in secret and that they don't even again, you don't even leave it to chance. There's no one left on the staff to tell you that these are all FDIC people is because psychologically. They need people to believe in the deposits. So I'm asking again, why is the head of the largest bank in the U.S. talking like this? Even if he believes it, doesn't make any sense. Says, uh, I don't know if it could be a soft landing. I don't think so, but it might, the J.P. Morgan chief executive officer said in an industry conference in Washington Thursday, adding that the alternatives would be a mild or severe recession. In a tough recession, you could expect the market to go down another 20 to 30 percent adding an additional 10% to the number he first floated on Monday. So he's even going further. It got worse. Besides predicting a hard landing and a 30% crash, the CEO of the largest U.S. bank also said his gut, quote, unquote, tells him that the Fed funds rate will probably have to raise higher than 4% to 4.5% level that many economists are predicting as inflation persists. So we got inflation. You have stagflation. You have inflation. You have uh, economic recession, uh, you receding economy, the GDP growth down. Still, Diamond said he has total faith and trust in the Fed and in Fed Chair Jerome Powell, and that stagflation is far worse than most of the other potential outcomes as the Fed works to cool price pressures. <laughs> and in, in a sign that markets may be getting ahead of themselves, Diamond also said that consum- the consumer could be a strong for another nine months around the time the recession hits. In other words, Diamond, who has warned about recession and further stocks crashes, has also repeatedly stressed that consumers are still healthy. We are confident that Jamie will tell us when, in his view, consumers are finally crashing. It's a, this is a bizarre story. Some of the other notable statements by Jamie Diamond include, J.P. Morgan is sitting on $1.2 trillion in cash. Here's something that you don't hear about J.P. Morgan is their silver holdings. Do you think that J.P. Morgan uh, in any way, shape, or form uh, is cornering the silver market? Do you think that they like these prices being where they are to accumulate? I don't know. Uh, he's never mentioned it, but that's what they do. I think they are the largest holder of silver, if I'm not mistaken, uh, outside of governments in the world. Uh, China can micromanage growth at 3 to 4%. CCAR has become untethered from reality. 
which we know, <laughs> which we know since clearly nobody could have possibly predicted the UK's pension fund crisis, right? Commodity prices around the world are very fragile, says Jamie Dimon. Well, something to pay attention to here. So normally in my life, it's been the folks, and I tend to, I don't know, there's a, there's a seductive thing about pessimism to me. And uh, it always seems like the smartest people are the most pessimistic when it comes to the future. I try not to fall into that trap, but everybody I've read and all the people that I've studied since my early 20s, they tend to be right. And they tend to, you know, again, it follows that line of logic because you don't really bet on uh, the current zeitgeist, the current spirit of the age. You're, you're betting against it. And so I remember going back to 08, uh, 07, 08, I started reading a lot of the gold bugs and a lot of the people are predicting market crashes and like everything's unsustainable. And they tended to be right, right? I mean, it wasn't as bad because uh, no one could have you know, foreseen the, um, the sheer amount of Fed injections that were going to go on after 08. As a matter of fact, you know, gold, um, it went to close to two, right at closing in on 2000. In the year 2011, same thing. Silver hit $50. There was a big run on precious metals, and the Fed stepped in and uh, bailed everything out and said, "We won't do it again, though." Right? This was uh, something that they promised. But as I was talking about yesterday, you know, the, the debt of the U.S. in year 2000, five trillion dollars, and again, that took us from our our founding to the year 2000 to get to five trillion. By 2010, it's 10 trillion. By 2020, it's 20 trillion or 25 trillion. Uh, after you know the first six months of 2020, and then now it's 30 trillion. You see the uh, accelerating acceleration to uh, quote <laughs> our Buckminster Fuller. So interesting times, folks. There's just something about this that doesn't make sense. I wanted to bring that to your attention because that seems like again that's just it's common for the gold bugs, the people that that you know the Austrian economist, uh, people that follow, follow F.A. Hayek, and all that. We we don't believe in the Keynesian model of fiat and, and government spending and all the rest. And so we don't uh, believe in the future of it, the, the markets themselves, we see downturns and crashes, but that's supposed to be us. Right. And then when you have somebody who's completely tied to the system, I don't know, I don't know what it means, but I've been watching him and there's something to that. There's something to, he's playing some kind of game uh, in my opinion, because usually they follow the narrative very closely. So let's, let's continue down on the, in the, in the line of logic with the economy, and then we'll take a break. Let's see. This is uh, Michael Snyder, and I always like to see him. He's another one of those pessimists that I like. <laughs> He's got the, the economic collapse blog, but this is also Zero Hedge. The era of cheap food and gasoline is over. This is by Michael Snyder, themostimportantnews.com. All of our lifestyles are about to change in a major way. But the vast majority of the population still does not understand what is coming. Throughout our entire lives, we have always been able to depend on a couple of things. There would always be cheap gasoline to fuel our vehicles, and there would always be mountains of cheap food at the grocery store. No matter who was in the White House and no matter what was going on in the world, those two things always remain the same. He says, unfortunately, though, those days are now over and they aren't coming back. We have entered the greatest energy crisis that any of us have ever experienced, and it isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, I'll say something real quick, and then we've got an article that I, this is going to, you guys will remind me. 
my my support group of the live David Knight audience. There's an article up that uh, one of the heads of the UN is really liking the war because it's stopping the energy. <laughs> it's really good for climate. The war is really good for climate change. We'll get to that. It just reminded me that with that uh, opening sentence, yeah. So you might as well get used to those high gas prices, says Michael Snyder. Earlier this month, brand new all-time record highs were set all over Southern California, Los Angeles, Long Beach, $6.46 a gallon. Orange County, $6.42 a gallon. Ventura County, $6.40. San Bernardino County, $6.32. He says, but that isn't the real problem. The real problem is with natural gas. Thanks to the war in Ukraine, supplies of natural gas in Europe have become extremely tight, and this has pushed prices into the stratosphere. Um, isn't wasn't that the point? Isn't this disruptive? Isn't this the uh, uh, asymmetrical siege warfare that they're running? Needless to say, this is going to greatly affect food production in the months ahead. According to Bloomberg, over two-thirds of the fertilizer production capacity in Europe has already been shut down. Well, and then that's due to natural gas, but it's also look at the countries around Europe. Oh, we have to ban, we have to ban fertilizer. We, 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 it's, it's too bad for the, for the planet. And, uh, we, we decide, you know, again, this is what's happening is, it's much deeper than the war. Although that is still something to worry about. That is something to still study and uh, be prepared for, but there is something much, the agenda here is much bigger than the war. Uh, This is an absolutely massive story, but hardly anyone in the United States is covering it. Global fertilizer production is going to be greatly reduced, and that's going to have a very serious implication for agricultural production all over the world. Nitrogen plants shut down in Europe are not simply a problem in Europe. Again, this is one of the spokespersons. Reduced supply on the scale seen this week not only raises the marginal cost of production of nitrogen fertilizers, but also will tighten the global markets, putting pressure on plant nutrients and the availability in Europe and beyond. We're already seeing prices elsewhere rise again. The price of the common nitrogen fertilizer urea in New Orleans rose over 20% in weekly prices Friday, the most since March and a few weeks after the war began, according to the green markets. I know that fertilizer may not be the most exciting topic for a lot of people, but the truth is approximately half of the global population would starve if we didn't have any. In fact, the estimate, it's estimated that nitrogen fertilizer now supports approximately half of the global population. See, again, you, you read stuff like this and you, just, you, can, you can see how it all ties together. This remaking of society. Who controls the food? Right? Why do you think these soulless uh, p- puppets of finance and these front men like Bill Gates are out uh, becoming the largest land and farm holders in the in places like North America. And does they want to, they want to grow some wonderful food, become farmers. He's a farmer now. First he's in he's a he's a nerd who's uh, now a doctor uh, because he was able to write a check and now he's a farmer. Um, the only way we can come close to feeding everyone on the planet is by using vast quantities of fertilizer. But now fertilizer plants all, all over Europe are being shut down or forced to shut down because of the price of natural gas. And not only the price of natural gas, but governments. Right? We saw, we've seen this 
in, in multiple guys, like this, this war against fertilizer, because that's where, again, that's where food comes from. As long as this global energy crisis persists, the global food crisis will persist. Russia is normally the largest exporter of natural gas in the world. And at the end of the war in Ukraine will go a long way towards solving our current problems. If we, again, if the war was ended, but there isn't going to be an end to the war in Ukraine, says Michael Snyder. Once again, Western leaders are assuring us, assuring us that the war will not end until Russia is forced out of every inch of Ukrainian territory. That includes Donetsk, Luhansk, and the Crimea. Of course, the Russians would use tactical nukes long before we ever got to that point. And once the Russians use tactical nukes, the West will do the same. As it currently stands, there is no off-ramp for this war. Instead, we are simply counting down the days until it goes nuclear. I am sorry to tell you that, but that's the truth. This is Michael Snyder, but I might as well have written it myself. If the American people truly understand what was at stake, there would be massive peace protests all over the nation right now. Yeah, you wouldn't be changing your, your, your profile picture on Facebook or social media to Ukrainian flag if you knew what this was all about. If you knew the criminality and the psychopathy and the evil and the Satanism behind this, behind this war, behind this plan, then you wouldn't be following the talking points of the Central Intelligence Agency writ large from the teleprompter readers and hairdos on mainstream media, ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, the the worst multi-year mega drought in 1,200 years continues to absolutely ravage agricultural production in the western half of the United States. A reporter from Fox recently visited the cornfields of Wayne County, Nebraska, and what he discovered is extremely chilling. He says, I'm standing in the middle of a cornfield that if this was a normal year, in other words, if the corn was growing the way it was supposed to be, you wouldn't even really be able to see me right now. Fox Business uh, Connell McShane reported from Wakefield, Nebraska. It would be way over my head, but now I look at this maybe knee high at best. McShane visited the field uh, in Wayne County and found some short stalks with very sparse ears. Over 99% of that county is in an exceptional drought. The drought's been going on for years. You know, just just an aside note, we don't have a water problem in this world, and I've heard it put this way. We have a salt problem. Like the, the earth is like, wasn't like 80% water? <laughs> but somehow, you know, all of this, the trillions that we spend uh, so we can enrich the military industrial complex and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of lizard people. We never actually get any technology, technology rolling out. Where are the desalinization plants? Well, why are we not working on this stuff? I think I answer my own questions, but I mean, come on folks. We're supposed to, the, we have the technology to overcome these kind of things, but we just don't seem, we're so, like a pitiful giant. On the West Coast, we're being warned that production of tomatoes, garlic, and onions will be very disappointing this year due to the drought. As a result, prices are going to be much higher in 2023. In addition to tomatoes, other crops like garlics and onions are also expected to be impacted. Yeah. And they love it. You know, food scarcity, right? Because then you can have price controls. And then you can have, again, you just a few. This is the fascism that we're seeing, you know, fascism, just the merger of corporations and government doesn't matter which one is which, doesn't matter which 
who's the head and who's the tail. It's just fascism. They love this stuff. Top down, there can only be one, like Highlander. The cost of living is becoming extremely oppressive, and countless people out there are really struggling to make it month to month. I covered an article, what, a few weeks ago about people that are making over $100,000 a year still living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I know this because even in small business, even when you're doing well, things have gone up. The prices of it, it, it infects everything. It's systemic. And you can see it even in consulting fees or marketing fees or whatever. It, the cost of everything is going up. 20 years ago, uh, working as a server, says Michael Snyder, I lived in a corner one-bedroom apartment downtown and with amazing views over $700 a month. A similar apartment now, $3,600 a month, more than five times as much. As a lawyer at age 47, I am unable to afford living in an apartment <laughs> as I did in 27 waiting tables. It's true. It's funny because I don't like to buy things for myself. I really don't. Uh, even if I'm doing well, it just, I, I don't mind writing a check for marketing. I'll buy business things. I'll buy inventory. It just doesn't even phase me at all. Like, Oh, we're going to buy TV spots. Sounds great. I never even look at it, but <laughs> with vehicles, I, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to get a new vehicle because my son's 17. So I'm going to give him my Jeep. And by the way, I bought this Jeep. Uh, I have a Jeep Patriot. I bought it used in 2019. Uh, it was 10,000. I bought it from a Dodge dealer in San Antonio. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, my local credit union was like, you can go get a car. So I, I finally did. And the reason I did is because my 99 Dodge Ram was stolen. We actually got it back, but, uh, I got the Jeep and anyway, it's been a good vehicle. And my son's 17. He's a good boy and a good young man. I thought, well, I'll give, I'll give the boy the, the, uh, the Jeep and I'll get a new vehicle. I started looking around. And I'm thinking, I remember 1999. I remember I bought my my truck, referred to as Big Red, brand new off the showroom floor, four-wheel drive. It was just, I mean, this is the deal that my dad and I had, you know, because I was joining the Army. He's like, I'll help you get a loan for the truck. You, you know, make the payments, tax, title, and license. I'll help, we'll help each other, you know, make we get your credit built. And I'll never, it was $27,000. And that was like, just so far and beyond like what I could, you know, imagine buying for a car at the time. But I thought, well, I'm going into the military. I have a steady income. I don't have any other debt. Let's just establish credit. And I love this truck. I still do. still love the truck. It's not exactly the same as it was, but it was 27,000. I'm looking around now and I'm thinking I won't pay, you know, I mean, you look at a new truck. What is it like $400 million or something? I'm just kidding. But it's, but you see what you look at the price of the sticker shock. I'm like, what? What is this? I, I mean, this is like, you know, you're talking about thousand dollar a month. Pay. It's like a mortgage. I'm not buying that. So I was looking at different cars and I don't know. I, I probably, I got, I got approved for a loan. We'll see. I just, Hey, I, I don't even like doing it. I don't even like buying things. This is uh, sadly though, what we've been through so far is just the beginning. The cost of gasoline is going to continue to go up. The cost of natural gas is going to continue to go up. The cost of food is going to continue to go up. See, it'll continue to go up even in the face of declining demand for things because of the cancer that is fiat currency and inflation. It's it it, it metastasizes, right? It drives up prices. Like your wages haven't increased, but the cost of everything has. You're the last, you know, cost of living adjustments, COLA. Uh, you you're the last to get anything, you know. 
the, the artificially inflated lifestyles that we were able to enjoy for decades are now disappearing, and there is a tremendous amount of pain on the horizon. We were warned this would happen, and now the day of reckoning is here. I would encourage you to prepare accordingly. I agree with pretty much everything Michael Snyder writes. Okay, not, again, I'd say it's probably 85%. He's uh, He's been pretty... Um, I don't know, prophetic in a lot of ways. And uh, I think he's got some some good insight. But um, regardless of where, where we are, we're in a fourth turning. We've got economic uncertainty. You've got the clouds of war. You've got all these things. I'm not telling you that it's going to be doom and gloom. I'm telling you that's what I'm preparing for. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know for sure. But we all should be preparing in whatever way that we can for change. Because I know that's inevitable, and we're talking about massive societal change. What that brings about, you know, is it famine? Uh, is it bread lines? Is it the Great Depression? Is it war? Is it all of them? I don't know. But preparing is certainly something that I think we have a responsibility to do at this point, you know, to, uh, to keep uh, the fire of liberty burning. We have to ourselves uh, be the keepers of the flame. We have to have ourselves in good shape and be able to endure those things. So let's take a quick break. Again, uh, my name is Tony Arterburn. I'm filling in for the great David Knight. Always an honor to be here. We've got uh, well, a fantastic uh, amount of show left for you. Like I said, uh, Gar Goldsmith should be here in the second and third hour. And, and this first hour is is my radio show, which is the Arterburn Radio Transmission. It goes out on Friday. So we're going to clip this first part out of the show to go out on Worldwide Christian Radio, 9.30 a.m., The Answer, San Antonio, and, of course, my podcast channels. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, when we come back. Uh, throughout the break, I'll let you know where you can find me. We'll talk a little bit about Wolfpack. We'll talk some uh, more economic data. Uh, I got great articles. I got enough articles. We can get through this show. And we'll open up the phone lines, too. So stand by. We'll be right back. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, again, an absolute honor to be here. 
uh, sitting in this chair, uh, filling in for David Knight, something I've been doing for uh, some years now, and it never, ever escapes me uh, that uh, this is history. Um, Of course, David, you know, again, you can't match his research, his work ethic, uh, his engineer mind. I don't even try, Uh, but I remember going in uh, to the studio in Austin when he was at InfoWars and I tried to be the first person there. You know, you're filling in for David Knight. Uh, you know, this isn't uh, you. It's not a. It's not a picnic. You better be prepared. He's got a certain uh, standard that his audience expects. So I would go in. I tried to show up about five a.m. and I would get through. I, you know, the, again, we have as many articles as I could print. I never felt quite as prepared. But you know, and then you find out. Well, David gets there at four. Well, no, he would get there sometimes way earlier, and you'd see the amount of preparation that goes into this show. So uh, I'm going to try to do it justice by, you know, continuing to try to do uh, last uh, show. I did very few commercials and I think we had um, between myself and guard too. And the callers, you know, we, we got through a lot of good topics and information. So uh, that's, in, that's uh, again, honoring David. We have very few breaks, but I want to plug the David and look folks, I got my, David Knight pin. I've got my David Knight mug. I'm holding up for the audience. Um, I, yesterday I wore my David Knight t-shirt on when I was with guard and, uh, you guys can go to the David You can donate direct, you can buy products. And then we also set up David Knight.gold. And, uh, again, I'll mention that, at, you know, uh, throughout the show, but David Knight.gold is, is powered by wise wolf gold and silver exchange. And we ship nationwide. If you have interest in precious metals, uh, you're going to get in touch with me through uh, davidknight.gold, and that will go to most likely uh, it's either myself or, or Kenzie will be handling your order. And uh, she's doing a phenomenal job. She's been finding uh, new supply chains for us, new wholesalers, new outlets, uh, really just uh, took our business to another level. And uh, I'm really excited to have her and, and, and proud to have her uh, with the Wise Wolf brand. So you probably be talking to Kenzie at some point if you <laughs> it's a it's a it's a uh, flip of the coin. All right, so let's continue through some headlines uh, after that plug. All right, so I'm looking at economic data. We'll talk a little bit more in that before we get into some more political stuff. Uh, But this was Kitco, which is a competitor. I've said this before, but still a a good site to go through for news. I I got asked the uh, question on the phone lines uh, earlier this week about uh, what I thought about treasury yields and the 10-year note and all this stuff, and I thought, well, I don't really follow it so much because I don't believe in the fiat system. I'm just waiting for, you know, I'm waiting for the cracks to start showing. I'm waiting for uh, the BRICS nations. I'm looking at uh, history uh, happening. I'm looking at a a shift in the power structure, the geopolitical power structure of finance, which is really what's happening. This is a war for who controls the future of the currency system, who controls the reserve currency of the world, so on and so forth. But uh, Kitco put out an article, and I uh, don't always agree with all this kind of analysis, but this is more of a Wall Street look at it. But it says the king U.S. dollar continues to push gold price lower. Gold and silver prices are lower in U.S. trading Friday. The two precious metals continue to trade in a strong inverse relationship with the powerful U.S. dollar index. <laughs> Gold and silver bulls remain perplexed by their metals' inability to catch a safe haven bid among heightened geopolitical and marketplace uncertainties. December gold was down sixteen dollars at sixteen sixty one. One of my clients called me and says it's sixteen sixty six, and I, I don't, I don't want to buy at this time. 
I've heard that before. I get you. Uh, global stock markets were mostly firmer overnight. U.S. stock indexes are pointed to mixed openings with the New York Day sessions uh, beginning. Uh, so this is an interesting, he talked about gold bulls and silver bulls were perplexed. I'm not really that perplexed. Uh, I think that this is a war. This is no longer about just sheer finance or keeping the you know the dollar as the hegemonic dominating currency of the world. This is do or die for the ruling class, for those who set up, you know, and there's a reason why they, the Biden administration calls it the liberal world order. Does anybody remember that? You know, it's the liberal world order. I know it was like General Mattis tried to explain that to Trump, what the liberal world order was, but it really was 1944 um, was the year that Breton Woods took place. You know, the they met in, in New Hampshire and uh, John Maynard Keynes and all these other uh, dignitaries and representatives are going to, you know, uh, give birth to uh, the new uh, economic world order. They, you know, believed that they were the allies were going to be ultimately victorious. Uh, you know, the our Operation Barbarossa was a bust. Uh, the the Third Reich was crumbling. Japan was boxed in. So they decided they would go ahead and set up things like the IMF, International Monetary Fund, right? And uh, they would peg. Uh, the dollar and gold at $35 an ounce. And that's, you know, people would trade in dollars and it was basically the end of the, the British empire. It was absorbed into the U S or maybe it was the other way around. I'm starting to think that maybe that uh, Cecil Rhodes and, you know, the Rothschilds and so the council on foreign relations and all these things, actually the England reappropriated the United States and its power, but that's what was set up. Right. And, we, you know, they, they launched that forward, but that's starting to crumble. Um, and this has to do with the fourth turning. There's a, a, a massive change in societal uh, norms that, and, and, and what we perceived as reality. Michael Snyder talking about cheap food, cheap gasoline. You know, we, we built the, the modern age on gold. Uh, the 19th century was a gold standard. Uh, governments were held way more accountable because you you had to have a certain amount of uh, of the metal themselves to increase the money supply, and after World War II, um, after the World War One and World War II, the cataclysms, the Great Civil War of the West, um, we see you know the modern era is a fiat era, and it, you know leading to 1971, where Richard Nixon takes us off the gold standard after interrupting an episode of Bonanza. Oh, I need to re- I need to also I was thinking about that. I'll play the video here. Uh, shortly on uh, wolfpack.gold. But, you know, look at the um, what's happened to the dollar. And that order, because of those kind of moves, I mean, it was no, I think uh, Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 71 was known as Breton Woods too. And uh, there's other people that believe this is Breton Woods three, and that's going to be the BRICS shakeup um, and the war that's going on is who's going to dominate. So I find these kind of headlines, again, um, I don't know the author, but I don't know if there's a the king U.S. dollar. It's just about, right now, it's called Tina. There is no alternative, uh, but there's about to be. And we're going to, again, the the dollar, and I think what the uh, the goal ultimately is, is, is to go digital. But they still want to dominate 
as the world's reserve currency because that's what keeps uh, the game. Um, you know, again, the game is rigged, but that's what um, keeps everything in place. You know, the the American Empire, the military industrial complex, it needs that. Matter of fact, there's. We'll see if we can get to it. There's an article up on lourockwell.com that I like this morning. It's one of those ones where I need a little bit more time, but it explains the relationship between NATO, the military industrial complex, the Federal Reserve, and then basically the West. And what do you think the West needs to, for it to save its currency? Because it can't use, it, it, I don't care what Jamie Dimon says, it can't just use uh, interest rate hikes. Right? It has to keep, the Ponzi scheme alive. It has to keep the rest of the world using dollars. And a lot of people, I tell them, I'm like, you know, I found this out doing research for my show, but you know, 80% of all the $100 bills that are in print, uh, they're not here in the U S they're not in CONUS and 65% of all the paper currency ever made uh, for the U S is not in the continental United States. You talk about a massive uh, Ponzi scheme which is what this is because, and we did a bait and switch. You, you weren't allowed to own, own gold uh, legally after 1933. In April 1933, FDR made it illegal for you to hoard gold or whatever that meant, right? You couldn't do that until Gerald Ford uh, said you could in 1974, but we had a supposed gold standard for the world. Uh, but the, they, they figured out something. They figured out that we had started to debase our coins uh, you know, look at the uh, 1964 U.S. Kennedy half dollar, right? 90% silver. And then next year, uh, it's 40%. And then the same thing with the quarter. And then they just, by 1970, it's completely debased. The world knew that. So why do you think in 71, Nixon takes us off the gold standard? Because the rest of the world was taking those dollars and going to the gold window and saying, give us our gold. Matter of fact, Charles de Gaulle uh, at one point sent French warships into the harbor, New York Harbor, <laughs> just to pick up his gold, right, for his country. Because, again, that's what it all gets back to that. That's what's happening right now. You have the record number of countries and central banks ordering gold. Uh, they don't talk about that, but it's, it's breaking. I'll, I'll give you guys a tweet up on Wise Wolf Gold that uh, Kenzie put up. And I want you to listen to this. <laughs> Kenzie says, nothing to see here, right? This is usually when you see at Wise Wolf Gold, this is Kenzie. But uh, this is a good post from at Prospector Gold and Gems. And uh, it says, first day of the Denver show, the writing is on the uh, the wall when about every bit of silver is being snapped up three to five because there is nothing else out there. Three to five over. Three to five over spot is what that means. That's being snapped up. Three to five dollars over spot cost before it's passed on due to the consumer. A few weeks ago, an individual apparently tried to buy 68 million worth of gold and silver in between all the major producers and all the major dealers, and there was nobody to fill that order after two weeks. The only uh, they're only able to find about half of it available as the finished product, and this is really really bad. Yeah, there's not an unlimited supply. 
And the wealthy know this, the governments know this. And then you read articles on Kitco like this, like the king U.S. dollar pushes gold prices lower. Doesn't make any sense, does it? It's not supposed to. Governments know this. Central banks know this. You're not supposed to know this, that there's a finite supply of, of precious metals. Precious metals are, are really, regardless of what they say, are the structure and foundation of modern economies. It doesn't matter what they say. They can talk about the dollar. They can talk about their fiat system. That's for the hoi polloi. That's for all of you. That's for us, right? For, for them, they don't even care about the dollar. They live off debt. And the dollar is debt. You know, that's the loophole that the rich have. They acquire assets. They borrow from those assets, right? The assets pay the notes and debt is tax-free. So they live in a tax-free loophole, <laughs> the, fee- the feedback loop of debt. And most people, and you're not taught that in school. You're told to acquire debt, right? For Not for you to live off of, but for you to pay for, right? And you stay in that zone until, well, until you you're not alive anymore. Right? You just pay off your house, pay off your debt, retire, all that stuff, put in your 401k. All those products, by the way, 401ks, IRAs, you name it, all that retirement stuff, it happened in 1974. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, in 1974 was the last time this country ran a, a trade surplus. Never again. Uh, the manufacturing marvel of the world stopped running uh, running a trade surplus with that means that we imported more than we exported for every year after that. Right. And that wasn't ever a common thing in this country. We never would have thought that we were supposed to be the the country that made things, but all those things tied together, you know, again, 71, we go off the gold standard. All these financial products are put into place. That's because they know that in order to keep society functioning, they're going to need to have people put into investments, right? Because the, you can't save the dollar like your ancestors could. You can't put it in a coffee can and dig it up 20 years later and it'd still be a dollar. It'd be something else. It'll maybe be a dollar, but it won't buy what a dollar used to buy. It's funny that's not taught in schools at all. They just talk about, well, you know, a hamburger and a movie and, you know, this used to be a quarter. And people go, oh, things have really gone up in price. Not really. They're the same. It's like Ron Paul talked about with the, uh, back in his 08 campaign and people laughed at him because he said he could bring gasoline back down to a, a dime a gallon. And they said, well, how would you do that, Dr. Paul? He said, well, I just put everything back on the silver deal. Silver dime's worth $3. <laughs> so that's, and that's what uh, I loved about the, you know, the view of, of the old stable sound money system. It really does make so much more sense because you get to get so much gobbledygook and Keynesian garbage and rhetoric in there. You know, you increase the money supply and then you get the whole thing with uh, you get some of those things like the um, the trickle down ec- economists, you know, and you just get once you expand so much and, it, and it'll trickle down and, and, and get to the lower strata. Just don't have these massive government deficits, don't have the ability to print into oblivion and you won't have the amount of economic disparity that we have now. It's just that simple. So we got a lot of history and I think that's what's on the horizon is the, uh, the transference. This is the war that's going on. You know, it's interesting because we have multiple wars happening, but it's also good to ask what is the real war? 
Like, what's the real battle here? Remember, uh, one of my really good friends in high school, his dad is a global evangelist, a real, real smart man, a PhD. And he had this magnificent library. It's one of the reasons I always wanted a library. And he had this book on his shelf. And I remember just seeing it was always on the edge. And the title was The Real War. And it was by Richard Nixon. I used to try to read it like as a teenager and I can understand what he's talking about. And it was a, you know, geopolitical, it was about the cold war. Um, but the re- it, again, I think it was taken from a conversation that he had with Mao, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's where the title came from. And uh, anyway, it's, it's a backdrop to what I always ask, which is what is the real here? What's the most authentic thing happening? What's, what is the, what's the, the psyop, and what is the uh, nuts and bolts? And I think really at the end of the day, you can talk about the conflict in Ukraine. You can talk about Taiwan. You can talk about the corruption here, the political persecution, uh, you know, all that, the great reset. At the end of the day, it's who controls the money supply, right? Was it uh, Meyer Obser Rothschild uh, in the 19th century says, I, I care not who sits on the British throne. The person who controls the British empire is the person who controls the money supply, and I control the British money supply. This is the battle, right? This is what really matters. And the, the king U.S. dollar is not really a king. It's, it's, it's something, right? It's on top for now, but we can all start to see the cracks in that, uh, that facade. All right. Well, the, uh, the question is, do I take a break and come back and, and do phone lines or we tackle at least one more article? Because I really wanted to talk about Pfizer. Here, I'm going to X out some of these other articles that we've already done. Oh, we'll say we'll do one more. Uh, let's do one more financial one, which is this is kind of financial. And then we'll move on to some uh, some more politics. But uh, <laughs> did you guys see this? This is summit.news. PayPal appears to be desperately offering bribes of $15 to stop droves of people canceling accounts. <laughs> uh, this is the good stuff. Uh, and you, you love to see it uh, because PayPal has been acting ridiculous. It's funny because they just finally jumped the shark. Like happy days, you know, Fonzie finally jumped the shark for PayPal. This is a, uh, Give me $2,500 for spreading misinformation and I'll consider keeping my account. <laughs> PayPal reportedly offering account holders $15 to prevent them from losing their accounts after the platform shamefully threatened to steal their money if they expressed the wrong opinion. PayPal announced that it would reserve the right to take up to $2,500 from people's accounts if they spread hate or misinformation, meaning opinions they don't like. Uh, I wonder uh, if if Kanye West PayPal has been um, they've sent him a bill yet. J.P. Morgan got rid of Kanye West, and uh, he's that guy's on. He's been targeted for destruction. I guess he finally hit the hit the note, and they're gonna see if what they can do to cancel him. Now, PayPal announced that it would reserve the right to take up to twenty five hundred dollars from people's accounts if they spread hate after a massive backlash. PayPal backtracked, and then a a narrative was created by the so-called fact-checkers that the entire thing never happened, and PayPal never intended to find people for wrong thing, despite an entire policy updated expressing an intent to do so. 
Now, as the company's stock price continues to plummet and users are canceling their accounts, PayPal appears to be offering free money in an attempt to retain customers. Uh, Ian Miles Chong says, do not take their $15 bribe. Delete your PayPal account. <laughs> well, I love this kind of stuff. I got, I've gotten messages, you know, because like you use like my websites and people are like, you should just put PayPal on there. I'm like, well, you know, they're just going to take my account eventually. That's my, I thought, you know, like I've seen what they did to David Knight. I've seen what they did to my friends, uh, other folks, uh, just again, PayPal does that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But then I have people writing me, Hey, I'm canceling my PayPal. Uh, and I have that in droves in my email inbox. Like <laughs> I got one of my, uh, Good friends just wrote and say, I'm not giving up on you, but I'm changing my monthly subscription to something else. Yeah. Uh, sorry, PayPal, but it was no accident. Those words were not typed in the first place, regardless of whether or not they were. He's got this is a a uh an a PayPal assist that sent them there. We're sorry for the confusion. <laughs> it's like whatever. And, and then it's I'll accept twenty five hundred dollars to stick around. You pay, you pay me $2,500. Oh, that's uh, one of the Twitter users' name was Corn Pop. He was a bad dude. All right, so uh, stick around. Let's, let's see if we can do, before we close out this hour, let's see if we can pull up uh, the video that Kenzie produced for Wolfpack. And then I'm going to open up the phone lines here in a second. Let's see if we can get this up on the screen. Wolfpack.gold, you can go there. And you actually get the link. If you go to davidknight.gold, uh, then you will find the tab for Wolfpack. All right, let's put this up on the screen. I want to play this for you guys here. Stand by. This is the, the this opens up with Richard Nixon uh, interrupting an episode of Bonanza. Stand by. The third indispensable element in building the new prosperity is closely related to creating new jobs and halting inflation. We must protect the position of the American dollar as a pillar of monetary stability around the world. In August 1971, Richard Nixon takes the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, effectively closing the gold window. The price of gold was $35 an ounce. By 1979, the price of gold had risen to nearly $600 per ounce. Facing record inflation, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates to the teens. In the following decades, the purchasing price of the dollar continues to erode as trillions are printed to cover record spending by the federal government. Stocks, bonds, and markets are all addicted to the constant creation of fiat currency and debt. That's why, in August of 2022, Wolfpack.gold is reopening the gold window with a precious metals monthly membership program. Starting as low as $50 per month with the Lone Wolf package, you can have gold and silver delivered directly to your door. This is stacking made easy. But that's not all. Included in your membership is an exclusive podcast and newsletter with industry leaders on precious metals and cryptocurrency, as well as a shopping cart for discount gold and silver items for Wolfpack members alone. Join the pack today. Go to wolfpack.gold to learn more. In a world of bulls and bears, be the wolf. Wolfpack.gold. That's right. In a world of bulls and bears, be the wolf. My friend Billy Ray Valentine, who I think we might be able to get on the show, he texted me uh, 
And as soon as we hit, we're, let's do let's do another quick break. Let's do a commercial. I'll see if I can get with Billy. Maybe we can get Billy on in the third hour. But uh, if you guys want to go ahead and prep for phone calls, it's 888-770-1776. And I have a request. Okay. I, I have a limited setup here, and I'm my own producer. And I know Beans the Brave is in studio. She's going to be able to help me. Um, but as far as getting to calls, if you hear somebody on the line with me, don't call in because it's going to do the call waiting thing. So if you hear somebody on the line, wait your turn, wait for them to get off the line, and then you can try to call. Because, uh, again, if you hear me answer the phone, it's just going to cause a perpetual. I can't take that off the phone for, for whatever reason. I've tried a thousand different ways. And if I use Skype, it's even worse. Uh, so that's the way that we're uh, we're kind of hamstrung that way. So 888-770-1776. If you want to call in, you can be a part of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Any topics are pretty much open. It's open mind, open line Friday. But, uh, you know, the economy, war, uh, again, prepping. We, we still got articles to get to as well. And we, we got to I'll reach out to Billy and then we'll see where we stand. So you guys stand by. We'll be right back. Stand by. I'm getting this commercial up here. Uh, my computer's running a little slow. This is why, again, this is why live radio is tough. <laughs> Stand by, folks. We got a one commercial, and then we're gonna take some calls. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to the davidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via PayPal, or donate via Venmo, Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. All right, welcome back, folks. I've got a caller on the line, and you guys might have to bear with me because uh, I have this thing with my computer. Like, well, every once in a while, everything's running. We did fine on Wednesday, and then every once in a while, it just starts slowing down and starts where I can't move screens. So I might be, I might be held hostage, and the only thing, only lifeline I have will be the calls. We'll see. I, I'll be able to, I'll be able to endure it one way or another. Let's go to the phone lines, though. All right, caller, you're on the air. Welcome to the David Knight Show. You're talking to Tony Arterburn. Go ahead. Go ahead, caller. Hi, Tony. Yes, go ahead. You hear me? Yep. Oh, great. Um, this is Johnny in Denmark. Yes, sir. Um, nice to have you back on. I guess hosting the show. I have four points to go through. The first is the least important by far, um, and that was just that uh, 
you you got the wrong Rothschild on that quote, I believe. It was like it was Nathan Rothschild who said that okay. about controlling the money supply, not my answer. Uh, and as I said, it's the least important. Um, second is, uh, I heard you saying several times um, that you don't you know uh, pay attention to it. I can empathize with that. Uh, the markets, because it's a rigged system, you'd rather stick to real stuff like gold and silver, silver and gold. Um, but one thing to pay attention to, which is quite telling, is uh, the price reduction in precious metals metals, which I, I'm guessing you're familiar with. And it really is an easy concept. It's a complicated name, but an easy concept. And people just keep asking themselves, um, if they were to buy uh, a precious metal now, as opposed to later, which should cost more if the delivery was for later? And the answer is, obviously, if the market were fair and balanced and honest, uh, later, because you have, as you well know, storage costs, insurance costs, etc. But often, not always, but often, as I was alerted to by um, a former uh, senior uh, counsel to the um, uh, World Bank, uh, Karen Hudes, uh, H-U-D-E-S, turned whistleblower, uh, the, the spot price um, is, is, uh, is, is more is um, less than um, the, uh, the, the, the uh, future price. Um, and the thing is, you know, why, why should it be that way? I'm, I'm sorry. The spot price is greater than the future price. Why should it be that way? The answer is because they couldn't afford to run because a lot of there's a lot more contra- gold contracted out for than actually exists. So that's one thing. Maybe it's worth paying attention to and kind of a, a segue. To yeah, I pay attention to that, Johnny. Yeah, I pay attention. Yeah, I pay attention to that. I'm talking about the, uh, the bond yields and other things, other parts of the market. I mean, just the uh, the uh, the Nasdaq and the Dow and other things. I mean, I just don't. It's not the same value system that it used to be. I think that was the point. I was this it's just not the same value. Oh, okay, system. In, that, in, in that, yeah, in that case, I'm with you. <laughs> I just, I just, this is more of an exception to the rule type of observation. I got else. you. Well, um, I'll, I'll make sure um, that uh, I keep the uh, the Rothschild quote. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and and make sure I got that right. And may, Gar Goldsmith would probably be able to correct me on that. Whether what what, what, what Rothschild I'm actually uh, speaking of. But we got uh, we're joined by Gar Goldsmith. Do you have anything you want to say to Gar before I let you go, Johnny? Oh, uh, Guard is great, um, and uh, he's one of my favorite guest hosts. I wish he had his own uh, show. <laughs> he does, um, MRC and I, TV. I, I, and I love, the, I, lo- I love the debate you had the other day, uh, because too often we see uh, debates, or at least you know, uh, one, of the per- one of the participants uh, is just ridiculous, often both. And in the few points that you had at issue with each other, it was very you know, respectful, mutually informative, and um, generally informative. So I'd like to see that in particular, one particular subject um, that I'd like to see you guys uh, debate, because I, do, I know, uh, I think, at least with David Knight has a different perspective than Guard, is um, in Marsh versus State of Alabama, 1946. Right. Um, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite sure who I agree with. <laughs> I'd like to hear a debate on that um, and other topics. So. Well, thank you for calling in, Johnny. We're going to, again, if you're calling in today, sure. if you hear somebody on the line, Please don't call in at the same time. I feel I'll let you go, John. But I appreciate the call, my friend. Thanks for uh, thanks for the support. Sure. Uh, so, hey, guard. It was funny. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's this funny uh, comedy skit on called from Mister Show back in the '90s with David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. And David yeah. Cross plays this talk show host who he does a he does a pre-recorded show, and he only wants you to call in at the time about the show that he recorded last. It's very confusing, but everybody who calls in is calling about the current show or the at the last show, and but not the one he's actually on. I feel like that's that's uh, happened to me with the call-ins because I'm like, okay, I know, 
I know if, uh, if you can, uh, don't call in wild. I'm on the line with somebody, which is funny. I was watching it, it ring while we were doing that. But hey, welcome, my friend. Hey, thank you so much, Tony. And uh, thanks for the invite. And it was great to hear John on the call, too. I, uh, by the way, I salute you with my David Knight mug. Very good yeah. stuff. Yeah, so I've, got my, I've own. got my David Knight mug and uh, Cheers. Yeah, my David Knight shirt. And uh, David is uh, yeah, like I'm going to have to. Well, I was going to say, you know, you, you play the Bonanza a bit in the beginning of the of the uh, Wise Wolf commercial at, as appropriately. So I, I sort of look at David as like the Ben Cartwright of uh, a radio, the wise, the wise Ben Cartwright, you know? Yeah, yeah just a state, a stable force. And uh, in the midst of the chaos. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you got it. Are you little Joe or I'm Hoss? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Like I don't know. I didn't, that was, the, that was the next step I didn't want to take, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to think about like <laughs> the, what we are. Yeah. yeah. It's funny yeah. about the, you know, Nixon interrupted that episode of Bonanza on a Sunday night to tell people we were going off the gold standard. He didn't say that, but he said we're closing the gold window to, for, you know, to keep the stability of the currency. But the yeah. Bonanza is like, what that means is like, there's a, a big rush to go get the, the precious metals in Nevada. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's kind it of ironic. A, incredibly ironic that, you know, it's, it's almost like they did it intentionally. You know, they, they knew wow. that Bonanza was going to be on. It was one of the most popular shows around and it was right. about the gold rush. And as, as I mentioned to you, you know, my brother got married in that, in that ballroom at that hotel. Uh, and that was, you know, 2004. And so they had the reception in the same area where all those people were walking around. I couldn't believe that, you know, there I was walking around for my brother's wedding. I was like, I hope this isn't cursed. This is, this is not good, you know, but, uh, it's a beautiful hotel, uh, the Mount Washington hotel. But, um, what happened there was not exactly good. Of course, you know, we all know that the, the whole, so-called gold standard was fraudulent anyway, as you brought up uh, when you were going through the description the other day. Um, you know, foreigners were, were grabbing up, uh, using their dollars to trade them in because they knew the right. longer they held them, the less they'd be worth, which is exactly right. what happens all the time with fiat currency, you know? Yeah. And they ran the scam for a long time. They were increasing the money supply and then they started to debase the coins yeah. And, uh, and that's why I think was the, the real tell. I mean, we were running, you know, the LBJ guns and butter, you know, uh, he's going to have a great society on the Mekong. Uh, if you remember, oh, uh, man. LBJ, oh, the man. of that, uh, but yeah, they had a great society on the Mekong and then they had, uh, you know, all that, all that in, in inflection of spending and increase the money supply and that everybody knew the game was up and we had the space yeah. and all that stuff running at the same time. Um, yeah. so it was just a map. It was just, again, like if you look at the coinage, you can just really, t I mean, look at the edge of the coin, exactly. how you see what's real. Like if you look at a, a dime or a quarter or a half dollar after 1964, it starts to look weirder and weirder. And this by the 1970, it's just straight copper edge. That's like yeah. you see a roll of, of dimes, take them out folks. If you see one with a silver edge, it's, it could be a silver dime in there. They still, you still find them. They still find silver quarters. You hear like nightmare stories of people that had like giant savings of silver quarters and dimes and half dollars. And then like the relative came and spent them as they were just like regular, yeah. like, like, and, like that's a whole fortune. Yeah, they bought penny candy with them. Like, no, yeah, what I are took, you doing? A, I took a load of, uh, uh, silk 90% silver to Dallas a couple of weeks ago. 
And uh, hold on, guard. We got a call, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let him go. Just hang out for a Great. second on the, in the back office. Taking my decongestant here. Yeah, you need to. And oh. I had to get a dolly because it was an estate sale. I had to drive it down. It was some lady that is liquidating somebody's you know family's life stuff. I mean, their their savings of silver, uh, uh, quarters, half dollars, and dimes. And and I had to get a dolly. It, it just it's amazing. Like if you'd have taken that to uh, you still would have gotten a bunch of value just spending it as regular fiat currency. Like if it was, but it was like $80,000 at the end of the weighing. Cause the guy was like, we're wow. just holding him up and it wouldn't have been anything like that. It had been more like 2000, you know, wow. had, had you just actually counted it all up. So interesting well, disparity between real money. Well, you know, you know, Tony, um, I was speaking in defiance, Ohio, a number of years ago, uh, about, central banking and uh and inflation and you know a lot of people uh, it takes a little while you know the listeners here get it i'm sure but um for some people who are sort of new to central banking they'll say well you know the the federal reserve is a private corporation and you know we got to put the the money printing back or the money the money coinage back into the hands of the government it's like no that's the problem you don't you want to disconnect money from the state because even in ancient rome you talk about the edges of the of the coins they would call the coins back because they had they had spread the empire so far and they were playing favorites with so many different people and of course they had such a giant military they couldn't they couldn't do it all through taxation so they would call coins back they'd shave them on the edges they'd create new coins with those shavings and then they'd send the other ones back out as if they were still the same weight when they weren't so it's very interesting that, you know, uh, hopefully people can understand, just as Ron Paul said, you don't need to abolish the Fed, just allow for competition in, in the issuance of currency. That's what some of the digital currencies have done. Thank we goodness. That was the point yeah. I was making on Wednesday and every other show I've done for the last couple of years. Uh, we don't need them. Let's uh, I'm going to go to the phone line because we got a call guard and um, I'll explain to them the rules when we get them on. Hello, okay. Welcome to the David Knight Show. This is Tony Arterburn. You're on with me and uh, Gar Goldsmith. Hey, good morning. This is uh, Frank out of Michigan, otherwise known as Angry Tiger. Good morning, Gar. Good morning, Tony. And good Frank. morning, Rockfin Chat. Hey. How are you, sir? Um, I'm good, sir. Good. Uh, to your point earlier about, you know, the cost of things. You know, I do automotive, restoration, mechanical, and I also import fireworks and you know, I said something to the guys in the business last year with the fireworks. I said, I think this is the last year that disposable income is going to be around for fireworks because of the cost of from China. I mean, it tripled in six months. Shipping wow. containers went from 10000 to $30,000 in a year. That's just the shipping, you know. So it's scary to watch that happening. And on the automotive end, I watch, you know, Instead of quarterly price increases, because, you know, I have wholesale accounts, we're getting weekly price increases. And, you know, it's, it's pretty terrifying. But but the main thing I really, while well, I got you guys on the horn here, something I wanted to ask both of you, I'm glad Guard's there. Guard, I hope you're feeling better, buddy. Is oh, that, thanks. Um, how do you and Guard, knowing the stuff that we know, we're a little bit, you know, we are critical thinkers and a little bit lucid walking through life here. How do you keep down your disdain? For the general public as being as if I know they're under chemical attack, psychological, spiritual attack, being being a Christian myself, I, I'm, I'm having problems 
deciphering the disdain because it's like, hey, if you guys were paying attention and not eating Doritos and watching football all day, you'd know what was going on and maybe we'd have a better handle on the situation. So how do you guys do with, deal with that on a kind of spiritual aspect, I guess? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to take that question. And because of the way this audio system works, and here's the rules, what I was going to explain to you is that uh, you won't be able to hear guard on this call. So what we'll do is we took the question and guard can hear you. But we'll take the question. We'll go ahead and drop okay. the call, and we'll take this uh, after your call, if, if that's okay with you, Angry Tiger. Yeah, that's great with me, Tony. Thanks a lot, everybody. Join, join the, uh, join the Wolf Pack. I'm, I'm, I'm patiently waiting, and uh, these guys are great. You call, and Tony answers the phone, and it freaks you out because you're like, "Hey, this is a busy guy. We don't want to bug him," you know. Uh, <laughs> I answer my so own everybody, phone. Join that's, that Wolf <laughs> Appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much for the have kind a- words. Have a good one, guys. You too. Thanks, Angry Tiger. Man, it's great to hear smart, smart people. It's so, so cool to hear people like like him calling in. We got Tony and we got Angry Tiger, Tony the Tiger. So there you go. <laughs> well, um, I'll yeah. let, you, let you take that one first, Guard. I've got my own opinions on, you know, he was, you, you heard the question. How do you square that? You're t- looking at the public. Uh, yeah. You're looking at, uh, you know, people. I mean, it's because of the compliance. The more they the the pub the general public complies, the worse off we get, and and they fall hook line and sinker for this stuff more and more. And, and how do you square that? How do you not? How are you not angry? How are you not more uh, enraged at the public? Uh, so I'll let you take that one first, and then I'll give. Yeah, mine. sure. I, I I'll and uh, you know on first blush, just taking this uh, quickly in a nice you know fun conversational way. This is really cool because it's very fluid. So uh, you got to sort of race with your mind, but I'll, I'll I'll look at it on two tracks. First track is the economic track versus the political track. Um, I try to get people, you know, generally I think everybody is, is pretty darn intelligent. They just apply their intelligence in different, different ways. I think it takes just as much uh, intellect to be um, uh, a really good car mechanic as uh, a surgeon in, in most cases. You know, as I, as I mentioned, one of my best buddies was reading the car mechanics Bible when he was nine and it's, you know, like super thin pages like 800 pages and uh you know he could have been a brain surgeon um you know the inventiveness that just goes in different directions um so i i think the the um so there's that there's the inherent um abilities of people then there's the political versus the economic um it, the the political world is so different than the economic world where um unfortunately people buy into this idea that they there are certain things on which they must vote. And year after year, there are more and more of those things. And you can never question the idea of voting or the idea of the legitimacy of the state itself. So um, politicians have an incentive to throw more and more of these issues into that realm. Unfortunately, as they do that, uh, the feedback loop of the market is lost. So if you were to engage in some of these things, like investing in Solyndra, yourself or buying a solar, you know, such and such or an electric vehicle. I think that's where the rubber is going to meet the road to uh, pun intended. Um, in, in many cases, people are starting to see the practical ineffectiveness of some of these political solutions. For the longest time, most of the political solutions are disconnected from people actually feeling those things the way they would if it were a real market. If I go and buy a bag of potato chips and they make me sick, I might, you know, try them again or whatever. Um, but if it happens again, I'm not getting those chips again. 
Uh, if I if I'm getting a toaster oven and it burns, I'm probably going to look for a different toaster oven. If I get somebody who gives me bad service, I'm probably going to look elsewhere. So the market has much better feedback loop than the political world, where it's very distanced and it's very it's very based on mythology and and uh, PR spin, and of course a lot of lies. And um, so I think and you know it's interesting because Plato talked about the noble lie. Well, that, you know, the state is, is a lie. They say that it's there to protect you, but the only way that it can protect you is to, to threaten you. So it's there to protect your property and, and, you know, you from being aggressed against, and it is the aggressor and it will take your property. It claims legitimate authority to take your property. That's not moral. So, um, there are those things, but then there's the, then there are these other sort of, you know, Tavistock, um, uh, Illuminati, Masonic, deep state pushes to try to get people to accept certain notions, like the LGBTQ stuff is acceptable for kids, you know, all these things. And unfortunately, I think that that has a lot more to do with preying on people's goodwill of, of trying to be accepting of people and not really understanding the Christian virtues. Um, maybe I'll, I think I'll, I'll just sort of stop there because I think that that probably covers a lot of that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the Christian virtues is where I was going to go with it. I mean, I think it's uh, from a Christian perspective, that's why it's so hard to 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 be like our Lord and Savior, to be Christ like. It's why you can see the divinity in his work, in his life. I mean, you can't I mean, you again, the the antipathy uh, the dis- dis- disgust with the, you know, the average person who you, you can't even break through them. They, they become violently opposed to any sort of deviation from the narrative that makes them the most comfortable. Even the ones that don't make them, if you remember COVID-1984 at its height, you would tell people like, um, well, the masks are ineffective and uh, it's okay because, you know, the as long as we're not, you know, the, the, this is the transmission only happens this way. And even if that's the case, it's mild and you got a, you know, 99.9% chance of surviving. And they would scream at you because you need the mask, right? And even if you're telling them that it's not that bad, you don't need to do this. They don't want that. They, they just want the narrative that's fed to them. So I, I, there, there's that. You see that in real time. The And it's the spirit of it. It's a, it's a demonic spirit, too. As you look at something like, well, you know, and Christ uh, forgave the crowd, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, that's something that, and if we're going to follow his example, and that's the crowd that had him crucified, you know, let it, let his blood be on us and our children. A real exercise in democracy is they voted to uh, verbally for Pontius Pilate to crucify Christ. So yeah. uh, I, I just, you know, again, I, I have a hard time following those, um, those examples because I'm like angry tiger. I'm just like, I, I, I'm out, you know, it's, it's, but it really does show you that, you know, we have an awesome God and, and that, that, uh, Christ is the, is the way because of all the, the different theological figures or whatever, a different face, that's the one where it really is centered on saving everyone. Right. The, all the yeah. crowd, even the one that's hissing and booing, even the one that's calling for your destruction, trying to save them. And, uh, that's, I guess at the end of the day, that's one of the ways we can square what's happening. But I, 
I do have a great sympathy for because at this point, it's like it's hard to wake people up. I mean, just I'm here to do intel and do discussions with people who are already there. I mean, maybe you get a little bit more and then we can always get a little bit more advanced in our knowledge of what's happening. A lot of my I mean, you fast forward two or three years from now, I'm sure my opinions will change on some things. Right. Because I'm not. Yeah. A, I, can, I can change my mind. I can change where I'm at. So um, I hope that answers the question. Well, and, you know, Tony, I just uh, would add this uh, to the points that Angry Tag- Tiger brought up because, I, you know, hopefully um, I don't want to give him uh, I, I don't want to um, um, neglect any points that uh, might be um, interesting or, or worthwhile uh, if Angry Tiger might think that they are. I, I don't know, you know, but um, one of the other things that, you know, personally that I've found is, you know, the transition for me, Tony, from working within the trying to do something in the state capital of New Hampshire and trying to change things policy wise and things like that. I realized I was never going to win any of those uh, of those battles. Uh, So I got to the point where I just said, well, if I can convince one person, if I can, uh, you know, maybe not even convince one person, but offer some information to one person. And I think what what gets me down sometimes is when I, I try to, I try to look at the positive. I try to look at, um, the idea of, you know, there's just, there might be one person out there who got some valuable information and that person feels some satisfaction to say, Hey, I got, I got something good. And, uh, generally that's, that's the way I look at it. Um, like if I go into a store, uh, I try to be very positive and up and, and, and try to say, you know, if this person hasn't had a good day today, maybe I'll bring a smile to this person or, or something. I'll, I'll lift up the energy level. And I, I, I kind of look at it that way. Not like everyone is, you know, like I'm blessed with any sort of, you know, great knowledge or whatever. But when I think there's an important story, I do what I can to get the information out there. And then I say to myself, you know, the rest is in God, God's hands. And, um, you know, he will uh, do what he wants to do with, with all of us. So that's that's sort of the way I look at it. But I do get sort of disappointed sometimes if there are people who are close to me. And, you know, I I, especially since my my father was was so intensely on top of political things. uh, If I see people who, you know, don't seem to be participating in defending liberty the way that I would have expected that they would have. And we you know, we can never count on what's going on in somebody's life or whatever. But sometimes that does you know, someone will say, oh, you know, I was watching this movie or I was doing this or whatever. And it's not my place to question somebody else's daily routine, you know. But sometimes I say to myself, you know, if I were in the American Revolution, would I have been, I mentioned this one time before, would I have been talking about like, you know, going to the latest theater show? I don't think I would have. I would have been home cleaning my musket, you know. But it's, again, that's not, that's not my place, you know. Uh, well, I, you know, we uh, we can only adapt to the situations as they arise. And I think that <clears throat> a lot of people are starting to see the cracks in the facade that is the, the mainstream narrative more than yeah. I've ever seen in my lifetime. So there is some hope in that, um, that they just don't believe it. And uh, that's kind of the first step is like George Carlin says, like, first first off, he's like, I believe nothing that the government tells me. So you start right there. You just, that's rule number one. I don't believe you. And if you start there, 
it, it really helps you to get a better picture of what's actually happening because it's going to force you to find out what is going on, you know, and yeah. you look at the, the mainstream mm-hmm. networks, that, what are they like uh, 90% owned by like three different companies, you know, and those companies are probably owned by one or two banking houses. I mean, it's not, uh, there's, there's not diversity. They say diversity is our strength, but there's no diversity in, in the, uh, the controlling narrative machine that the elites have thrust upon us. Uh, speaking of the narrative machine, uh, and I hope this is going to be a trend. I, I'm glad that you're on. Help me dissect this guard and, and uh, the audience. I want to say uh, thank you for your patience as I'm running a live show. And then I'll start having, I don't I don't don't, I think I'm gonna have to buy a completely <coughs> computer system because it works great. And then all of a sudden there's just this thing where I can't click anything anymore. And I ended up having to not be able to use links. So we'll try this. So bear with me. I think we can still put it up on the screen. There we go. Technocracy.news. Oh, Patrick Wood uh, over here at technocracy.news. Great site. A Pfizer exec admits they did not know that shots would stop transmission. Thanks to have the video here. Yeah. Patrick Wood says uh, it was all a lie. Credible scientists knew full well that Pfizer did not test their mRNA vaccine for efficacy in stopping transmission or preventing infection. Now, a Pfizer executive was put under oath in Europe and flatly admitted there was no testing prior to release. It was a crapshoot at best and crimes against humanity at worst. This is from the editor of technocracy.news. A senior Pfizer executive has admitted that the drug company did not know whether its COVID vaccine prevented transmission of the virus when it began rolling out the shots globally. Jam- uh, Is that woman Jamie Small? Yeah, Jamie Small, yeah. president of International Developed Markets, was testifying before the European Union Parliament on Monday when she was asked the question by Dutch uh, Member of Parliament Rob Roos. Was the F- Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say clearly. I have the clip here. Let's play the clip, Guard. Oh, it's great. This is great stuff. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. She reminds the speed me of, of science. Speed of science, but I love the hand motion. It reminded me of a book, uh, Robert Caro's biographies on Lyndon Johnson. It was Master of the Senate. That's what he would do when he was getting his, his bills through the Senate when he was uh, the, the majority, the Mr. Leader. And he would do his hand like that and say, we got to get him through. And that's exactly what she's talking. She's talking about warp speed. Right, exactly, exactly. Science. <laughs> yeah, and Tony, by the way, uh, I, I have to mention, I, I, you know, this isn't like to plug myself or whatever, but you know, I did that, that work at Star Trek. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I, I mentioned this to Don Jeffries, but I don't think I mentioned it to you when I was at Voyager, they almost eliminated warp drive in an episode. Did I tell you about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the guy who, who made sure that they kept warp drive. So every time I hear 
Operation Warp Drive. I just think about that moment at Star Trek Voyager when in 1998, Warp Drive would have been eliminated from Star Trek and they kept it in there. I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. Operation Warp Drive. This is this is why it is justified in many, you know, among many reasons to criticize Donald Trump. You know, the, the unconstitutional, as I, as I mentioned, you know, um, I went through on the show yesterday, I was going through what Pfizer has been doing in places like Argentina and Brazil, asking for massive amounts of government land and all sorts of stuff as collateral against liability. And they they didn't even know whether their drug would help anybody. It's it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Well, if the if the apocalypse was uh, an event, it would be brought to you in part by Pfizer. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could tell you it would be. And, you know, uh, the, the political realities here, uh, I would love to see this start to break down. And it's interesting if they if we do have a Nuremberg, too, or something like if we do have a if there's a reckoning of this. Right. I'm calling for like legal investigations into what's happening. I don't know if we have the ability to do that. I'd love to. It'd have to start from outside of the system guard. I don't know. The system itself can't correct. So it's interesting to see where this will all end up. I mean, you I mean, people know and in the periphery and in and in alternative media, we all know all these things. But somebody investigating anything. I don't know. I, I want to believe that this is like you start seeing the the cracks in the narrative, they start throwing people under the bus. Um, and you start to see, you started to see that with, with Trump and a lot of the people, the conservative commentators who were distancing themselves from him because he wouldn't stop uh, touting it, you know, touting yeah. the the jab. And uh, I'm like, they is because he's, he's never letting go. He's going to take that. I mean, he's going to die on that Hill. It, it looks to me politically, um, yeah. some, something to that, right? With the, you got to be proud of it. Mark Levin saying that that's uh, Trump's vaccine. He says he's got to have. <laughs> you should give yeah, him the credit. I'm like, oh, I, I do, Mark. I give him all the credit, buddy. Um, don't, don't you worry about that. But I, I wonder if this. I mean, is this going to? You think twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four? How much of twenty twenty four is going to be about this genetic code injection? You know, given what's going to be happening with the economy, I think uh, it'll be a, a minor, minor issue and it should not be. Um, you know, it's it's very disappointing. And, you know, you talk about Nuremberg and you got in my mind, I just started thinking about the different forces that have grown and become so huge since then within central banking and the international uh, monetary uh, corporate nexus. And, um, you know, unless there's a, a massive rise up from people, whether, you know, ranging from the Netherlands to Sri Lanka, to Canada, to the United States, I just don't see that that is going to happen. You know, I I don't, I I think the people who would be in charge of a Nuremberg 2.0, then, you know, and we know that they already have, there are a number of people who've been trying to do that, some very good people. Uh, who are on on the side of of good and understand how bad the jabs are and so on and so forth, but as far as like an official Nuremberg 2.0 goes, um, the people who would be put on trial would be the ones who are in charge of it. Nowadays, I'm afraid. Yeah, this the article goes on. Um, that's a good. That's a great piece, by the way. And that that website, I didn't know about the website until you you brought it up on a show. Technocracy.news. Oh yeah, those guys yeah, are awesome. 
Patrick Wood, and he, he was the writing partner to Anthony Sutton. And Anthony that's Sutton, where I, that's right? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, Hitler and the and uh, the rise of Hitler and Wall Street and uh, the Rockefellers, the Trilateral Commission. And uh, I've got Anthony Sutton's The War on Gold from the 70s. Great little book. I mean, oh, has a, my dad. My, oh, my mom. My mom has that. So I had that somewhere. I, I, th I think it's gone now, but I'll have to get a copy of that. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Ruse, the um, member of parliament, shared a brief clip of Mrs. Small's response on Twitter describing the answer as scandalous. Well, it's more than that. Um, and I don't know where this will go, but we, we're getting fed these. I mean, can you imagine? There was a time when I thought we're never going to have any sort. Like, they're not going to put anything anywhere. Uh, is anybody from government going to talk about these things? And uh, if we're just never going to see any sort of the, the commentary on the downside or the, uh, the adverse reaction or VARES, is anybody going to bring this up? It's being brought up. Uh, and of course it happened in Europe. <laughs> it's not, it's not happening here yet. Um, no, no, Now, no, Tony, let me ask you a question here. You know, given the political makeup of the EU and given the position of the ECB, I mean, we, we know what this van der Leyen was threatening of the Italian election before they even had the election. It's like, you know, sort of that uh, Chuck Schumer, you know, we have the seven ways from Sunday to, yeah, to take right. you out, you know, yeah. and we know what they already, yeah, they already did this in Greece. Um, they already did it in uh, Cyprus. You know, they, they basically inserted uh, ECB central bankers there at various times over since uh, basically 2009 or so. So, um, you know, you got that guy from, what would you say? He's from Holland, that man, right? That, right. that, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm sure he must just be overwhelmed in the EU if he were to try to get anything done to bring that woman to task. Don't you think? It would be, a, yeah, there's no mechanism. There's only, yeah. there's only sound bites. Like, but the thing is the, the, it's something like Sun Tzu, uh, who was it? David Hay doesn't want to hear any more Sun Tzu. I think I forget. I forget how many shows. I think he's talked about that. It's, <laughs> I thought about bringing it up on one of the the times I visit just uh, just to be funny. But it's like something Sun Tzu talked about with, um, you know, the 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 war is decided in the temples long before it's ever fought. So what this information war, what all this is about, why they squelch people like David Knight and you and and people that I know and myself, myself and and alternative media in general is because once once the, and and it could be something where governments don't do anything, but then they lose the people, where because the people don't believe it anymore, and I think that's that's what's happening is that the, I mean um, America is like we're orphans, like we're. We're out here like the government is no, not even we don't even have like not not just taxation without representation. We're not represented at all. Like there's no we're not even connected to it in, in a lot of ways, especially the federal level. So I'm wondering if this is one of those that the sound bites that continue to come out, the articles that continue to come out. How much does this just change where the public itself is the is the it's the really the court of public opinion and it's tried there? not necessarily in the government. Yeah, I think that's going to be the way it, it goes. Um, but then the, then the problem that I, I find is um, I, pretty much you're going to be relying on the ballot box for some sort of change, right? Uh, I doubt we're going to see 
you know, unless unless you see vigilantes out there uh, taking justice into their own hands, um, you're going to be seeing very few uh, establishment um, mechanisms to bring these people to task, except for trying to um, change change things by the ballot box. And unfortunately, uh, the I think there's very limited push pushback that can be done with that. Um, I don't know. I don't want to sound too pessimistic, uh, but the the system is going to have to crash dramatically economically for people to start to look at decentralization. And I think that that is the key result from all of this. You and it's going to take a while because, you know, our, our entire media structure is is focused not on decentralization, but on centralization. The networks look to Washington. The networks do national entertainment. Uh, you're big if you're n- nationwide. You're big if you're worldwide. Um, so I think now people are starting to appreciate their localities. They're starting to appreciate their neighbors. And I think as things start to get worse, they're going to have to do that more. Uh, they're not going to be able to rely on that central government. And I, I just hope that they can break out of that focus on Washington, D.C. for the answers. But if you look at things, Tony, if you look at, and you know, I, I talk to people about this all the time. If you look at people who talk about natural disasters, they're still complaining as to whether or not Joe Biden took enough action. You know, we had New Orleans and George W. Bush. That was one of the, the things that really got people upset about, about George W. Bush, that he didn't respond quickly enough to uh, Katrina, right? right. Um, it's not his place. So unfortunately, I think there's a disconnect between what people expect of the federal government and what is actually designed in the Constitution and what is actually capable, what the federal government is capable of doing. And um, I, I don't, I, I, I would love to see people really start to shake out of it. And I think, unfortunately, with the economic troubles that we're headed towards, uh, I think that people will start to do that. But I, 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 it's an open book for me. I just don't know whether or not people will be able to, we've had so many years of normalcy bias that um, I think people look to the central government. Alexander Hamilton's schemes uh, were quite successful, sadly. Well, I want to just reverse back to, and, and guard Goldsmith uh, disavows any sorts of vigilanteism at all. <laughs> you know, yes. You always got to bracket that, brother. Uh, yeah, I know what you were, you were doing. You were doing uh, an, uh, uh, an analysis and not uh, not anything that you're advocating. But yeah, I agree with you. And, and um, you know, you got to think about Nuremberg, too. Um, that came after a cataclysm. And it took, you know, again, it... Uh, took 50 million dead worldwide at the world the, the atomic bomb. It took uh, a ma- massive uh, shifts in reality for, for that to happen, for there to be any sort yeah. of thing like that. And, and people like John F. Kennedy even opposed Nuremberg uh, because they thought he thought it was, um, is basically after the fact changing the rules or something, you know, cause governments were, um, you know, again, if if the West would have lost, or not the West per se, but the the Allies would have lost. I mean, they'd been tried for for Dresden, for 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 the firebombing of Tokyo, for all sorts of things. You know, for for the atomic bomb, all all these other things had they lost. So, um, you know, I I do think we'll have something like that on some sort of reckoning someday, but it's not going to be next year. 
Uh, let's put it that way. Boy, you know, it's interesting, Tony. You bring things up. I think I heard you mention that once before about JFK opposing Nuremberg, and that slipped my mind completely. There's so many nuances of uh, <clears throat> of history that um, you'll bring up that I'll just sit down like, oh, yeah, you know, that that's that's really important to remember. Stuff that just rattles um, up in my head sometimes. And I don't know. <laughs> like, it just depends on who I'm talking to. I'm like, yeah, I remember reading that, that he did. And it was, uh, I forget who, where I where I got it from, but it might've been, might've been something that Don Jeffries wrote. I'm not sure. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, on the constructive side, and by the way, I know John, John called earlier and uh, I did want to mention, John, thank you so much for that, that positive vibe about like, you know, doing my own show or whatever. And Tony, you might want to, might want to mention, you, you know, you got some uh, big plans coming up from some streaming shows and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm going to be doing uh, a little bit more myself. And, and you know, this isn't, my place to be promoting that or whatever, but just to answer John, thanks so much for that positivity. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting, getting a little healthier and then, uh, launching on some of these, uh, platforms. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, we, uh, freeworld.fm is what guards talking about with these, some of these platforms and Billy Ray Valentine is, is spearheading that I'm a part of freeworld.fm and, uh, one of the one of the founders there, David Knight will be streaming on freeworld.fm. We've just put together the infrastructure and, uh, it is going to be cool. It's audio only radio station, just the most authentic people that we could find. Uh, there is, uh, to my knowledge, there'll be no grifting. There'll be zero grifting inside freeworld.fm. It's only uh, research and opinions based off of, uh, well, the love of the love of wisdom. Uh, let's do one, one more quote in here uh, from this article. I saw this. You bet. Uh, Mr. Mr. Ruse says millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth you do it for others, he said in a video. Now this turned out to be a cheap lie. This sh should be exposed. Well, good for him. And uh, very good. Those of us who watch this in slow motion, you know, it's funny. I, I was just uh, Facebook will put up videos every once in a while. Of, or the clips and say, you remember this? This is the way back. You know, you did this three years ago and it had me in a, like early April of 2020. And I just pushed the button to see what I was saying, you know, and uh, this is, I was broadcasting here from this studio and I was on truth frequency radio at the time. And I had, you know, uh, some other projects that I was working on, but just kind of flying into that, you know, second quarter of 2020. And I was like, you know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to use this lockdown. They're going to use this excuse to create an abomination of a vaccine. And I'm going in like that, the whole, that's just the point of the deal. And I'm getting mad at the camera and I'm thinking I was, you know, I was somewhat cognizant of this was the whole thing the whole time. And then you're just living through it. It's kind of like me mourning people about world war three. And I'm like, you realize this is what they're doing. I don't want it to happen. Please don't, please let me be stupid. Like at this point, I'm just kind of like, I hope that, uh, that I have a vitamin deficiency or <laughs> that, that like I wake up and I'm in one of those chairs from total recall. And they're like, hey, I hope you enjoyed your Armageddon experience. <laughs> That'll Doing be the Arnold credits. And I get Arnold, tab, you know? <laughs> you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and your eyes are bugging out. Oh, the thing through my nose. <laughs> it's a guy, uh, welcome to Johnny cab. And I feel like I'm, you know, I'm hoping that's the case, guard. I, I just want to be wrong. I mean, that's the thing. I just want to be wrong. None of my predictions are good. Like, why did you don't want you don't want my predictions? You know, um, yeah. 
this I hope the hope the fiat currency is great and you know just more the merit keep creating dollars and that uh you know <laughs> the, the, the and you know you know what's really weird Tony is as a as a guy who you know did uh fiction writing and stuff like that at, for TV shows there was always a race to try to yeah at outer limits it was particularly um acute um but also at Star Trek too um you know you 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 always try to sort of look into the future and try to get get the idea before the other writer gets the idea like oh oh i wish i thought of that oh yeah that's probably the way it'll go you know and um there are two things i remember one time i was at the outer limits and it was 1996 and uh, i was working on a story where there was no copyright or patent protection uh in this futuristic world and there was a guy and he's now the producer of a, of a really good show. I, I won't mention his name, but uh, he had gone to Cornell and studied engineering, but then he got into script writing. And um, and he goes, what are you working on? And I was like, oh, it's this idea of, you know, this futuristic society where there's no copyright or patent protection because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an anarchist libertarian and I don't want to... F- you know, charge other people to protect my copyright. You know, that's, that's not right. What if they don't want to pay to protect my copyright? Leave them alone, you know? And he goes, what, what? And I was like, yeah, you know, now he comes from engineering. So he, he's like patent all the way, you know? So he goes, that was, that's crazy. What are you doing that for? And I was like, so I said, you are aware of the internet, right? And I mean, it was 1996. The internet was around, you know? And, uh, I was like, you understand what's going to happen in music and movies. It's it's going to become fluid. Like you're not going to be able to stop it. People right. are going to share stuff. And I was like, this is copyright and patent are going to become big bombs. And they're going to be ways that people are finding that their, their privacy is invaded and that speech is going to be crushed by government, which is exactly what they've tried to do over in, uh, over in uh, uh, the UK and so on. And, and uh, the EU uh, they're they're saying you know if you share this story you've got to give attribution and all these different types of things even memes now they want to you know it's a way for them to monitor stuff but it, it was really funny because you know there's this race for writers to try to come up with you know some idea that's going to be the the next big thing and um, I always find it interesting because when you look at films people talk about predictive programming and you and I touched on this once before. Um, you know, I read you that story that I wrote a number of years ago about the pandemic and I had the six foot distance saying and shops being closed and only able to be open during certain periods of time and you couldn't go inside and so on and so forth. And, um, and, you know, I was just speculating, but I could see somebody who might want to, you know, look at me as being part of the the in crowd, like, oh, he had foreknowledge. He right. was writing some predictive programming thing. Like, no, I was just working on a story thinking, you know, if there were a pandemic, what would the government do? You know? So it, it is interesting because I think that there are areas where, where government agents inject stuff. You know, they have to put this information out there. I think in, in a way that, um, you know, and that, that the revelation of the method, sort of a, an right. idea, but it's very hard to distinguish these sorts of things and, and prediction of the future is, you know, who knows? I don't know. Well, you're so right about that. And I do believe in revelation of the method. I do believe in pre- predictive programming. I mean, just, there's so much evidence like a nine 11 is this, this trigger 
that was going to happen, like, you know, something that that's what the title of, of David Icke's book. Uh, the yeah. and, it's, and again, big kudos on that book. That's a good book. That's a great, I got it here on the yeah. shelf. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, you, you talk about these predicted programming events like Neo's passport expiring on September 11th, 2001 from the matrix, you know, like this big movie, this iconic thing. And, um, but it's funny because you go back and you talk about your writing, because like, obviously you're not tied to any alphabet agency. You're not part of the, the predictive programming. And I, I want to like I would love it if I cataloged a lot of my old shows when I was doing a daily show in 2019 on on Freedom 1160 following Mark Levin out in San Antonio, because I mean, I must have sounded like just an otherworldly, like not in belonging in that timeline. If somebody was tuning in. And then they, they let it roll over from Mark Levin to me because I'm over there talking about the, the great reset. I'm like, they're going to do a great reset, folks. Don't you know what that is? And I'm, like, I'm talking about this in 2019. You know, I'm like, they could use anything. It could be, you know, they could they got are going to get their sustainability stuff. And I'm like, you see, this is happening. Right. And, and it's funny because I thought when I do a, a book on gold, I've got one that I'm going to be doing here shortly. And uh I was thinking about quoting myself, you know, like in putting the date to like, you know, the, the great reset, you know, they're, they're planning a great reset and then be like, you know, July, 2019. Cause everybody knows what it is now. Uh, oh yeah. Because of the oh, yeah. pandemic. And, and it's funny because that, that shift in reality that ha- and I couldn't quite articulate, but I felt it. I felt like we were leading into something very strange. It's kind of getting that same feeling now. And I don't like it. I just, I hope that you and I can talk in a few years and be like, well, you know, do you, Tony, do you see the great reset in the room right now? You know, <laughs> is Klaus Schwab here? You know, I, I was just wrong about that. So, you know, on that on that subject, Tony, you know, uh, you talking about bringing that up, there was there was a link off of uh, Lou Rockwell goes over to the expose and uh, it's about the great reset. And um, it came out. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it came out yesterday. Uh, the great reset. Klaus Schwab's WEF has plans to implement a carbon allowance that will restrict what you do, buy, and eat. And here we go, right here. In his 2020 book, The Denial, journalist Ross Clark describes a dystopian future in which everything we do, buy, or do has a carbon value, and each household or individual has a carbon allowance, which is the maximum amount of CO2 they are allowed to use each month. No household or individual is allowed to exceed their CO2 allowance unless they are part of the elites who, of course, have no restrictions on their CO2 use because they're doing it for us, right? The denial was fiction until the 14th of September, 2022. uh, That's just a few weeks ago. On the 14th of September, 2022, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum published an article titled my carbon an approach for inclusion and sustainable cities and then they go through it so it is interesting tony because if oh there and you got it yeah um you know if you thought that people might have been looking at you as the old man screaming on his porch i'm gonna be listening to that old man screaming on his porch man okay well we're looking at the look. The thing, the thing is, that we're not smart, not really, because we're just reading what they write. I mean, this thing is like I, I'm not a psychic. I just look. I, I looked at the documents. I see what they're doing, and then you kind of look at track record. You know, like what's the track yeah. record of the global elite? Well, they love wars. 
uh, wars are a way to them do creative destruction. They can move things around. They don't really pay a price for anything, but yeah, they like wars. Uh, and, uh, they like, uh, to control money supplies and they like to, to control narratives. And, you know, it's funny cause you have these people, they're just, they they just can't believe it guard that the most powerful people in the world would conspire to, to retain their wealth and power. I mean, they can't imagine that somebody would do that for self-interest. I mean, it's just so silly. Like you <clears throat> nature to, I mean, you have to look away. From something that was bad. Of course, I will. I, the variable in all of this too, and we talked about it earlier, which was during the height of the scandemic, you couldn't convince people that it wasn't as bad, which is interesting. Oh yeah, right. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that, that was a new one on me. That's an excellent point, and you know, I I've been very frustrated as as you know, um, <clears throat> looking at at the censorship, um, and you know, it goes back to uh, what what um, we heard a little bit earlier this t- discussion about Marsh v. Alabama. And um, what the corporations can or cannot do. And, you know, as an as an anarchist, uh, I would just point up to a few people that, um, you know, my position is that um, I, I don't think that my neighbor's money should be taken to, to give anybody any sort of uh, judicial liability breaks. Right. So corporate status wouldn't exist in my world. Um, but that question arises. Uh, if, if, you know, I was on the Google blacklist, right? So I would not like to be on the Google blacklist. I'd like my stuff to be seen by people, especially because I'm putting a lot of what my parents gave to me in there. And, um, so the question is, how do you manage a system where you have so-called private corporations, which are created by the government, then establishing their own rules of censorship to knock out information that is affecting me. And then you say to yourself, but if we control those corporations, what is going to be controlling them? The politicians. So I just don't see that that's the answer. Uh, I, I don't think that. And I think the problem is in the uh, conferring of corporate status on these people. I think that in a quick answer, and then I want to introduce uh, my good friend, Billy Ray Valentine. BRV is here in the back office. He's just been let in. But I think the answer there in short guard is what I've always wanted to happen. It's not necessarily a, a political change, but the, but a, a reaffirmation of the rule of law. Yeah. I'd love it if um, some small town county started like, because uh, you've ever been out to Real County in Texas. That's where... Yeah. Uh, this is like outside of San Antonio, little town called Lakey. And uh, it's just this little bitty place. And uh, I was thinking, I went to the Real Courthouse once, and I thought, if you were going to file a lawsuit, you should file it from here because somebody had to drive, like, you know, from a major city. It'd be like two and a half, three hours, and there's nothing here. Like, you can't even get internet. There's not that nice. time. And I thought, people ought to start doing that and using the rule of law and just get judgments. You know, and and start start racking in, and actually maybe even criminal subpoenas to some of these major corporations because it's not going to come from Washington. So I like disruptive stuff like that. I like, you know, again getting to the the black letter of the law. Like, really, what's what does it say, and uh, how can we use that effectively to tie these things up? And and uh, again, it's not coming from Washington. It needs to come from we the people and use stuff like that. You know, there was a book. <laughs> You could always find it gun shows and stuff, and then I'll, I'll introduce Billy, but it always made me laugh. It was called like the uh, how to get revenge or something, and one of them was just file a lawsuit. Like you, 
like it tells you how to go do one and and, and then people have to answer it. You know, I know that that's kind of a, a simplified thing, but I don't know. Uh, rule of law is uh, what I believe in. Uh, yeah. Billy Ray Valentine, host of the Infinite Fringe podcast. Uh, the well, he's the leader of uh, America Unplugged. We're the other co-host uh, over on AU on the Rockfin, Rockfin.com. Uh, Billy Ray, welcome to the show, my friend. Billy Ray. What's up, guard? What's up, Tone? Thank you for having me. And you hey, know, man. You, 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 you know, there are no leaders on America Unplugged. Well, if anybody is, it's Tone. He's the reason the show's still around and, and, and branched off from Iconic. So thank you, Tone. What's up, guard? What's up, everybody here at the David hey, Knight Show? What's going on? Cheers. Good to see you, dude. Great to see you. Awesome. Good to see you too, buddy. Yeah. I need that hat right now. My head is cold. This this is my <laughs> <laughs> this is my Captain America hat. I bought it for the Fourth of July two years ago, and I fell in love with it. And now it's my favorite hat to the point oh. that that it's it's you know it, it, I, I need to get another one. It's I need to update it. I, I like it. I was telling the folks about uh, FreeWorld.fm, Billy, and how that's that's uh, a, a, approaching a launch uh, very soon. Right, and uh, Guard will be a part of that. David Knight will be a part of that. Uh, you're a part of that. I'm a part. Of, so it's really going to be a lot of fun and we'll have some great voices over there. So there's still, there's still, uh, things being built. We're, we're planning for the future, even though we're skeptical that it's going to even exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to right? like everyone has to plan for the future, regardless of how bleak the outcome looks, right. Or, or the forecast, right. Yes. Um, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And, and, uh, and we need to plan for victory, right? We we need to be optimistic and plan for winning, even if it's going to be hard, right? So I like uh, that. That's a great way to approach it. That's so so true, Billy Ray. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of times I can I can get frustrated, and and you sort of I don't know about you guys, but um, you sort of you know you hear so much doom and gloom, and that's you know pretty realistic. Um, but you you sort of get caught in the shadows and the darkness and you don't look at the bright path that can come afterwards. And there's great brightness that I see. One of the one of the positive things that I always find, and this goes back to um, what um, uh, Angry Tiger brought up. One of the positive things that I find is, is, you know, having been touched by you guys, that's that's just a remarkable thing in my life. It's so great. And um, I'm just forever grateful for that. So whatever happens for me, I say, hey, I got these guys. This is great. You know, that's where I'm at. I mean, it's just yeah. it, it almost it's, it's got to be divine intervention. I, I'm i in this circle of people. And I was telling Bill the other day, I hope he doesn't mind me discussing it because we were talking offline. But I thought there's like nowhere above us. Like we we hit we're, we're David Knight. You know, we're we're yeah. there's like there's. It reminds me of the Cuban Missile Crisis movie, Thirteen <laughs> Days, when uh, uh, Ken O'Donnell was was uh, asking JFK, "Where do they go?" He's like, "Well, there is nobody. There's no wise old man. There's there's just us." So, like, we've reached this this point where we've got the most. I think the journalists and the researchers with the most integrity in alternative media, and we're in this circle. And I just, I'm so proud to be here. It's, it's humbling. I mean, I consider myself. I mean, I'm on. The, I'm on. I'm in it. I'm in the club, but. There's some people out there, like especially you know David Knight and Don Jeffries and his writing and all the things he and Charlie Robinson and others. There's just so many good people in our circle, and we just kind of recognize like kind, you know, like okay, well I know why you're here, and we just we feed off that. So it's really interesting. It's an interesting time. Yeah, right. like I, I um I told Tone in that same conversation, like uh, 
you know, why would I want to be on on bad on band dot video or band dot TV? I don't I don't like why would I want to be there? Right. If if it doesn't matter how many people I would reach, I, I don't want to be on that platform. I would much rather be with uh, with the guys that got banned from band TV. Right. <laughs> I would much rather be with Tony. I would much rather be with with David Knight, you know, because there's integrity there. There was there was backbone there to do what uh, they thought was right to do to to express themselves and and really they talk about free speech with with what's going on with Alex Jones right now, but Alex Jones didn't show the same, you know, to people that were that had different opinions about about a Donald Trump and about all the stuff that was going on around that, and he decided to push people off as a result of it. Um, I, I don't want to be with people like that. You know, I, I want to be with people that, that, that will challenge me, you know, and that I disagree with, but, but they, they're, they're rooted in reality and I want to know what they know that way I can grow. Right. And, and, and I want to be with people with integrity and, and I feel like I am. So I'm very happy with my position with garden, Tony, like, like Tony has been life-changing for me to be honest with. You know, I'm 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 very happy that that this came about and it came about organically. You know, we didn't seek each other out or anything like that. It just kind of happened. You know, um, so I'm 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 glad to be here and hopefully we can put something together and 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 uh and provide an alternative to the alternative for people that are seeking out that type of information. You know, so I'm I'm very happy to be here. Likewise, brother. I remember my last uh, broadcast uh, over filling in for David on InfoWars was the Friday the 13th of November of 2020. I had Don Jeffries on and uh, still a great clip. It was a great show, but I went in at 5 a.m. and I took a picture of the studio. I need to put it up. So I'm going to put it up here in my office, but it was a picture of the studio with no one else in it. It was dark. And I thought, I don't think I'll ever be back. And I was right. I, wow. I, exist, I exist. I exist on band video, but only as a specter, only as a ghost. You can only. Find, <laughs> I exist. I'm a ghost in that machine, but I've never been back. So, um, anyway, well, let's talk about central bank digital currency. If you guys, this is. I think we can finish out the entire show on this. There's so much to this. If you guys don't mind, I had I had yeah. this planned, but check out this article on Zero Hedge. I saw this yesterday. I'm like, this is going to be in the show. Uh, it is by the Interma- internationalman.com, uh, Nick GM Bruno, uh, says there's an excellent chance governments worldwide will soon force their citizens to use central bank digital currencies. And again, this is five ways to opt out of the dystopian <laughs> future of central bank digital currencies. CBDCs enable all sorts of horrible totalitarian things. Some of the stuff I've been talking about for gosh, uh, Um, (laughs) they allow governments to track and control every penny you earn every penny you save what you spend they they are a powerful tool for politicians to confiscate and redistribute wealth as they Mm -hmm. fit cbdc's will make it possible for central banks to impose deeply negative interest rates which are really just a euphemism for a tax on saving money governments could program cbdc's to have an expiration date like some airline frequent flyer miles, forcing people to spend them, for example. CBDCs will enable devious social engineering by allowing governments to punish and reward people uh, in ways they previously couldn't. And again, I'm just listing, this is the article listing, but he goes into the, the five ways. He's like, suppose governments impose lockdowns again for flu season, so-called climate change, or whatever pretext they find convenient. 
CBDCs could be programmed to only work in a geographic area, for example. Your payments could be denied if you travel more than a mile from your home during lockdown. Suppose the people in charge want to encourage people to take a pharmaceutical product. With CBDCs, they could easily deposit money into their accounts of those who complied and deduct it from those who didn't. Undoubtedly, CBDCs will be paired with a sort of social credit system. Uh, such a system already in place in China today, which is ridiculous because you always hear these politicians saying, we've got to we've got to close the CBDC gap. The Chinese have it. We have to catch up with them, uh, which is a, a complete farce. Um, did you commit a crime <laughs> or a thought crime on social media? Perhaps you read too many politically incorrect articles online. Did you exceed your monthly meat consumption allowance? Then expect some financial punishment thanks to CBDC. CBDCs are without a doubt an instrument of enslavement, and uh, they, are, they represent a quantum leap backward in human freedom. And it says, unfortunately, they're coming soon. Now, governments will probably mandate CBDCs as a solution. And I wanted to go over, again, this is, I don't want to read the whole article, but you guys get the gist of it. And uh, he talks about the steps you can take to fight back. And uh, this is, uh, number one, is the use of physical gold and silver. Avoiding CBDCs means using alternative forms of money. Although people use money every day, if you consider what it actually is or what makes for good money, asking people what is money is like asking a fish, what is water? <laughs> That's right. The fish probably doesn't even notice the water unless it becomes polluted or something is wrong. Well, I want to start here and we're going to go over the list. Uh, just off that opening salvo, gents, um, CBDCs are coming. I don't care. It's, it's, it's happening. They're, they're drawing up the plans. Um, the, the author here of this article believes that they will be a failure. Uh, that people will reject them and that the, these are five steps that you can take. Um, Billy, I'll throw it to you. Just, uh, you know, you and I've been talking about this on America Unplugged, uh, the, the future of, of the digital system. And, uh, you know, you're a, you, that's re- you're really your wheelhouse too. the metaverse, the digital system. All this really ties together. Uh, thoughts about the CBDCs, that opening salvo of just the negative sides. I would hope uh, that the author is correct. And that this doesn't take hold. Um, there are a few examples out there that are uh, separate, but the same uh, in the same vein about what's going on here. And, and, and I saw a news article and I saw a couple of news reports about uh, this new technology and cars that they're proposing here in New York um, that um, it's going to regulate the speed that you go in. So if, if you go, you can't go past the speed limit, even, even if you wanted to. And if you push on a button for an emergency, it would give you like 15 seconds to be able to do something. And then it would go back to whatever the, uh, the speed rate was apparently in Europe. This is already a thing. This is already a law in some places in Europe and they want to bring it here in New York. And a lot of people express the um, concerns about overreach. You know, um, that they, you know, people walking the street, they did a man on the street. And what do you think about this? They're like, well, well, this is overreach, you know, but um, but there are some that have been, you know, affected negatively by 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 speed drivers or pe- people that, you know, drunk drivers and all this other stuff that are kind of for this because of what they've experienced. Right. And they're like, this can help save lives. And that's going to be the argument. They're going to sneak this in. They're going to sneak this technology in. They've, they've already 
um, done it with, you know, the Tesla cars. It's the thing, right? You see Teslas everywhere here in New York now, right? And the self-driving cars, right? And and uh, that was a thing that people were screaming government over or just overreach in general. Uh, and now it's commonplace. Not only is it commonplace, but people are seeking it out. They want it because it's trendy, because it looks good. So the way this is sold nine times out of 10 is uh, there's the introduction, right? Then there is the concern. Then there is the mainstream popularity of it. For whatever reason, they figure out how to push this and make it popular, make it trendy, make it ho- make it cool, make it hip, right? So people want to use it and then they begin to use it. And then all of that concern goes away. Look at Alexa for, for, for that matter. When they first introduced this, articles all over the place talking about this is overreach. This is the CIA, the, 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 the um, alphabet agencies listening in in your living room. They're going to know what you do, what you say, how you say it, when you say it, everything. They're going to know it. Damn, we can't have that. Every household in America has it now, you know, and uh, and uh, they use it and, and, and nobody cares about it anymore. It's conditioning. So that's the way this is done. They introduce it. They, they air out the concerns. Everybody is aware of of uh, the drawbacks of these types of things. And then they make it hip and they make it the only way to go. So let's talk about money real quick. I used to only walk around with paper money on principle. This is me. I know this stuff already. I'm in this community. I know what it does. I don't walk around with paper money anymore. I only have my debit card. I only have my credit card, right? Over time, this just became the thing. And now they're doing here in New York, you can find um, uh, establishments that are cashless, completely cashless. And how do they sell this? You know, they sell, well, it's better for the environment. You know, and, um, you know, it minimizes hand to hand interaction that way, you know, you don't catch COVID-19 or whatever else happens to come about from from all of this. Right. So no germs, no nothing. Swipe your card, go right about your business. Right. Or you tap your phone. You're doing away with the cards now. Everything. I I haven't transitioned to that yet. I don't I, I haven't gone to Apple Pay. But it might only be a matter, a matter of time before that happens, right? Like, I mean, most people here in New York tap their phones and keep keep on going. And while we are aware of this and we know how it we we know how it used to be, there are more and more our generations, our kids and our kids' kids, they're not gonna know, right? They're just going to be born into this system, and this is going to be commonplace for them. And this is how these things develop. So I am not as optimistic as the author of this article is. I think uh, there is a fair chance that this takes hold and this is how things are done in the future. Um, I, I really hope that's not the case. Um, and and, and I, 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 I should be more proactive in not buying into some of this stuff and walking around with paper money. I should be doing that. And I think I'm going to after this conversation, shame on me, right? I should be doing that. Um, and and I, I'm not going to transition to Apple Pay, but at, at, at some point, they're going to force you to do it. And they're not going to force you down the barrel of a gun. They're just going to eliminate everything. And this is the only way you will be able to do uh, 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 transactions. You know, everything is going to go away and this is going to be the only way you're going to be able to buy stuff. 
And this is how people are going to inevitably transition into something like this. You guys tell me if you think I'm wrong. Well, this is what the author was saying is I believe CBDCs will inevitably self-destruct. Nobody knows how long it will take for that to happen. Communism uh, was also destined to self-destruct, but it took generations. I don't think it will take nearly that long for CBDCs to fail, but that's my guess. That's the way he says. Therefore, the big question everybody should be asking is this. What will you do when the government forces everyone to use CBDCs? And again, we start off uh, with the number one, which was physical gold and silver. And we're going to go through the list. Guard, uh, thoughts on what Billy had to say? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it was interesting listening to Billy. He was bringing up points and I thought, oh, man, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. And um, there's there's a strange, you know, I was mentioning a little bit earlier about how uh, the difference between political choices and economic choices. And this is where the politicians now are trying to control, and they're always trying to do this, but now overtly they're trying to control our economic choices. Um, and um, they do it very, they, the way that they successfully do it is surreptitiously, generation by generation, iteratively, as as uh, David notes, as uh, Fauci said at that meeting. Um, and, um, I think it's a learning process for them. Uh, so uh, now, as far as the the, the voter or the, the consumer is concerned, as I mentioned, you know, the consumer has a direct direct relationship with the product he or she is buying. Um, and if if he or she is not satisfied, then that's fine. When he's buying it for himself, with government, people have this artifice. Where they and this goes into the voting booth here, and you know this is where again the rubber supposedly meets the road, but I don't think it necessarily does. Um, uh, when people go into the voting booth, typically they think that they're voting for themselves, but they're voting to make someone else do something. Most of the time, that's typically the way it is, and so those effects are not brought back to them; they're diffuse. So we have a moral government is the greatest moral hazard in, you know, in economic terms uh, in the history of man. Government is also the greatest rent seeker. It will create as many opportunities as it can. The people within it, generation upon generation of opportunists will create as many opportunities as they can to gain power. When something doesn't work, they'll reshape it. They'll redo it. They'll find some other way in. And the way that they're finding it in now, and I was glad I was able to write about this for MRC TV, is through ESG and these giant corporations, all these banks, whether it's JP Morgan Chase, whether it's uh, you know um, Wells Fargo, uh, they're all involved with this. So they're going to be laying pressures on people in order to get money to do to leverage, to start businesses and do this or that, they're going to have to conform to ESG, which has the carbon stuff in it. Then with digital currency, that will be one of the payoff uh, opportunities for people. If they conform with this, then they will get benefits and they won't really be benefits, but they'll be structured as benefits by these people who get the graft from the central authorities. So, the unfortunate problem that I find now is that when people are voting, as in the past, we've seen people voting to make other people do things. They don't feel the negative consequences of this. Now, 
it's going to be a situation where it's almost going to be like bribing the voters to start to lean towards the ESG supporters, towards the carbon credit, towards the, the digital money supporters. I think practically, if people were to try to do this and have some government system, it's not going to work very well. And as you say, like, you know, reading that article, Tony, I didn't even think about the regional barriers that they could put up to say, oh, you know, that was a very creative writer. That guy was very imaginative. And, you know, going through that to say, you know, this possibility, I mean, I, I thought of a few, but not all those, man. So um, I, I think that there'll be some dissatisfaction uh, among people, but there is a tendency, I think, for people to take the easiest way out. And if these pressures are applied to them from the central banking authorities and the corporations on which their own businesses are run. I don't know whether the, the hassles that people start to feel on their day-to-day level will be sufficient uh, for them to discard it the way that they would discard a bad product. Well, I think the, the author of this is right. I think it's going to take a lot more time. It won't just yeah. be like this and it'll be, it won't be an initial rejection. The entire system itself, uh, the ruling class and what they've built, their, their Tower of Babel will have to collapse. But I believe in the future in some ways because I'm a Christian. So, I mean, I think that uh, the, the truth, eventually, you can bury it all you want. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rise to the surface eventually. And I'm just going to try to be on that. Again, it doesn't mean uh, just because you have the truth doesn't mean that you win in the short term. And a lot of people had truth in the Soviet Union. They were putting gulags, you know, and that's what happens. That's what we have to brace ourselves for. Sometimes uh, truth, uh, as my friend James Perloff wrote as the title of his book, is a lonely warrior. Uh, let's look at number two. And by the way, if you want to get gold and silver, a part of the first step in pushing back against the central bank digital currency, you can go to davidknight.gold and you can support David at the same time. We'll talk to myself and or Kinsey. We've been helping David Knight listeners for uh, some time now, over over a year at least, and uh, <coughs> really appreciate it. The step number two to obtain financial sovereignty with Bitcoin, something that I still advocate. CBDCs and Bitcoin share some characteristics. For example, they are both digital and both facilitate fast payments, like from a mobile phone. The reality is that CBDCs and Bitcoin are entirely different in the most fundamental ways. It was funny because I saw Jerome Powell, what, a year ago. He's like, well, we're coming up with the central bank digital currency, and I'm paraphrasing, because, you know, um, people like Bitcoin, but we're going to make something. Now you won't need Bitcoin anymore. I'm like, well, we have Bitcoin because of you. Uh, that's why it was put into existence. Because of you. Uh, we don't want you to copy it because you can't. Um, you, know, you you need the government's permission and blessing to use a CBDC, whereas Bitcoin is permissionless. Governments can and will create uh, as many CBDC currency units as they want, while Bitcoin can only be 21 million Bitcoin ever. And there's nothing anyone can do to inflate the supply more than the predetermined amount in the protocol. It's funny, uh, one of my friends, Russ, gave me uh, the actual white paper for Bitcoin and frame. I have it here in the shop. It's pretty cool. Uh, uh, that's part of the protocol. It's finite. Um, there is no privacy with CBDCs. However, if you take specific steps with Bitcoin, it is possible to maintain reasonable privacy. You know, it's funny in this, in this crypto winter that's happening right now. And so much is like, you don't even almost hear about crypto anymore. 
in the news, it's like people aren't talking about it because the only thing you see is like the, the red, but it's still a great technology. It's still something to learn. Anybody who's prepping for the future, you should learn decentralized cryptocurrencies. Um, but uh, it says if you want to avoid CBDCs, um, like Bitcoin, that will be uh, certainly among the um, avoiding the, the traditional financial system as well. Knowing how to use Bitcoin is the most sovereign way possible, and it is essential. So uh, your take, uh, Billy, do you have a take on Bitcoin? What do you think about uh, the central bank digital currency versus BTC? It's too volatile. Crypto, um, uh, Bitcoin is, is all over the place. You can make a lot of money and you can lose it the next day like that. You know, from uh, I, I've never jumped in, but I know a lot of people that have and a lot of people that have made some money and that have have lost it. You know, just like that. And then you make it. I mean, it's you need to know what you're doing. There's a and there's a lot of chance that goes into this, too. And you need to be lucky in a lot of ways. I think if uh, CBDCs and and this is just you guys correct me if I'm wrong, if, if they can can provide more stability. Then what a Bitcoin can, I think more more people will go towards what's more stable, what's more safe, quote unquote, and they'll be and they'll sacrifice some of that freedom that you would get through a Bitcoin as a result, you know, um, and uh, if these, you know, these CBDCs are, are backed by, you know, you know, we all know what they are. Right. So if, if you know, they, they provide uh incentives and uh, and all of the, all of this other stuff to get you to go over there that that bitcoin can't this is what or won't this is what people are going to gravitate towards in my in my opinion and they're going to remember these these big crashes they're going to remember people losing a ton of money you know and then it'll happen again you know cuz it's it's a cycle so it's going to go up and it's going to come back down and people are going to see that they're going to get scared they're going to want to go to something that's more stable and more safe i i i know i'm 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 I sound very bleak here, but I think this is what's going to go down. I think that's the way it's going to happen, to be honest with you. Um, I've never jumped in. I was about to. I was about to drop a few grand. I, we talked about it, you know, and uh, and as soon as I was about to do it, everything started going to hell in a handbasket. So and I, I, I held back and I haven't done it yet, but I'm not ruling it out. You know, I, I think people should invest if they can. You know, but uh, in in the overall, in the great scheme of things, how I see things breaking up is they're going to provide stability on the other side of this. And that's what's going to bring people in. Yeah. And they can simultaneously run war games against decentralized things like Bitcoin. I brought up Jamie Dimon in the beginning of the show and just how strange I find his rhetoric. One of the things I remember Jamie Dimon doing back in 2018 was basically along with Warren Buffett and others like calling Bitcoin rat poison. And uh, saying that they was, you know, it was was nothing, it's going to crash. And he kept saying that and they drove the price of Bitcoin down. And then uh, he said, well, we'll never talk about Bitcoin again. And then a week later, they started announcing that JP Morgan was looking for a sovereign fund to start buying. And I go, oh, you bought it all up. Yeah. Financial networks would just cover what's happening at the time. Uh, Guard, your thoughts real quick on on BTC versus CBDC. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's going to there's always going to be a market for for bitcoin and uh the reason is because the value um that that limitation that has been put on bitcoin is very important and of course you know guards against inflationary pressures so that the buying power of 
of the Bitcoin is retained. Uh, I think that um, governments in many ways are going to try to manipulate it as much as possible, the way they've tried to manipulate gold and silver. Uh, and I, I have a feeling, however, that governments got into Bitcoin very late into the game. Now, I might be wrong. I, you know, Bitcoin could be part of some grand conspiracy. You know, it's possible, but I don't think so. And um, I think Bitcoin was brought up by people with honest intentions to try to circumvent the fiat currency, central bank mandated on everybody form of currency and give people an alternative. Uh, I think down the line, what's going to happen is I think that certain things are only going to be able to rise to to only certain levels of exchangeability and popularity. Um, and I don't know where Bitcoin's going to fall into this, but I know that with the precious metals, the great thing about those is they're non-traceable. And, um, you know, you can weigh them, you can do tests on them, and you know, you know, if you've got a, just a couple simple chemicals, if you've got an ear, even if you don't have the chemicals, you can tell, like, okay, this person's not defrauding me. Uh, Bitcoin may be a little bit more complicated to try to keep yourself anonymous. Um, but there are technological ways that you can come close. So I think the problem is that if you're making enough on a certain level with whatever it might be, you're going to become a target. And um, that's that. So I think what it's going to have to be, it's going to be gray markets um, and and. And there are going to be a lot of people who are sort of the, the spokespeople for the gray markets who, who are the ones taking the risks, who are going to have to be very careful on how they, because um, they're going to be the targets, on how they work. And there are going to be a lot of other people who are sort of hiding and working under under the carpet, and they're never going to be seen. And I'll, I'll refer to my friend Ian, Ian Freeman of Free Talk Live where the FBI busted in on him a year ago because why? Cause he was dealing in Bitcoin as you and I know, Tony. And, um, you know, he just lives a few towns away from me. They, they blew in his front window and sent a drone into his front window at five in the morning, marched him out. I think he was either naked or in his boxer shorts. He hasn't hurt anybody, but he was a Bitcoin millionaire because he bought Bitcoin very early. He was, tr he was doing Bitcoin trades, showing people how to do Bitcoin trades but the trick for him was that he had also put his house under a church. He had established a church that I think was running into some federal. So he had risen. He, if he had stayed low, he would have been fine. But he had so much money, they got him. That's a right. So that's, right. yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Billy. No, that, that's a really good point. It, it reminds me a little bit of the Kanye West situation right now. Yes. Um, you know, Chase Chase has decided not to do business with a billion dollar company, and, and it's like, and and I understand uh, the the reasons behind it, but but looking past that, Kanye West is a billionaire, right? So now we have all these crypto millionaires popping up, right? There's so many, so there were more millionaires than ever in in the history of of money, right? Of, yeah in modern history. Yeah. Um, what does that really mean? 
you know, it, it, it means that there is some amount of financial independence, right? Um, but what does it mean in the great scheme of things? It, it means the rich are getting richer and uh, money is less valuable than what it was before, right? Yeah. Kanye West is a billionaire. You would think that at some point that provides an incredible amount of independence. And it does, but only to a certain degree. And Chase proved that right now. You know, we, we're looking at Kanye West, in particular here in the urban areas where he came from. Wow, he's a billionaire. Look at this guy. Well, well, he was able to do this. But they checked him real quick. And, yeah. and, and, and we can look at this at, at, on a racial level, but we should be looking at this on an economic level. Exactly. And we should be looking at it at that level. And, 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 and they're telling us still, no matter how much money we allow you to have, we are still in control of this. We don't need your billion dollars. Imagine what Chase must be making to say we don't need your billion dollars don't need that go away go somewhere else that's the yeah. reality of things here right so a, a lot of what guard said just sparked that in my mind what's up guard i see you right. no i was gonna say you know and the other thing about that billy ray is that uh with the cares act that was passed under the trump administration the federal reserve can buy up bonds from any corporation that they want and i mentioned this with tony they don't have to report it they don't have to tell anybody any stinking anybody they can just go in, buy up bonds from, from corporations. So now there's a direct link between the ESG central bank people and the people they want to support. Right. And, um, you know, I, what I think would be really cool, except we know that the Securities and Exchange Commission, patently unconstitutional, would come down on these people, you know, swooping in like, like Hellion, like Judas Priest's Hellion, you know. Um, uh, and by the way, I'm going to see Judas Priest next week, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, as long as, as long as I, you can scream and yell, but, um, I'd love to see guys like Kanye West and others, you know, Elon Musk, I don't know, you know, whether he could be trusted or not. And, and, and they're already going after him with the Twitter stuff. But some of these people now, there are so many people who are emerging because of this differentiation in political structures, which is something I've always known since I was a little kid. I did not want to spend my money with people I, I ideologically found repulsive. Um, and I just would try to avoid that. The only area where I had problems with that was with rock music, because, you know, I might go to a midnight oil concert and disagree with like 70% of what they held, but I might agree with like 30%. But I, it would be awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if a guy like Kanye were to say, okay, I want to get together with, um, uh, who's the guy who wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Robert Kiyosaki. Um, yeah, Kiyosaki. Uh, some of these guys, you know, uh, Dan Pena those guys and, uh, and say, we're going to form our own investment organization and it's going to be tailored, but they would get, they, they'd get screwed by the government. Or I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't, but no, no, know. no. I, I think you're right on it. They'd, they'd get screwed. See, that's the next level thinking that needs <laughs> to happen yeah. with somebody like a Kanye West or like a Jay-Z you know, who, who, who've made a certain amount of money and they can really start to break away. Um, yeah. But they won't. They stay dependent on the already existing 
formula on the already existing establishment. They want because they want the safe way out. They really don't want to be mavericks about anything. They really don't want to start something new for the people. What they want is to enrich themselves. And that's you, why we're in that. Think, What's up? Do you think that do you think that Kanye has reached any sort of threshold where he says maybe he's gone over to the other side where he's like maybe he's had enough and he is willing to to take that risk now? I, I don't see any evidence of that right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see. I mean, I'm not saying that he can't or, or that he won't, you know, but I, I don't see any evidence of that. Um, yeah. it, I, I used to work um, for for uh, a huge sports organization and um, there were always, you know, there were lockouts, you know, and a, a bunch of stuff because the players didn't agree with whatever was going on. Right. And And I was sitting at my job and I was thinking at the time, it's happened several times. I was like, these guys got so much money. Why don't they break away and make their own league? Screw it, right? Screw what these people are saying. Go make your own league. But they won't. They just will not. Is it possible? Absolutely. But they, they are, they want to criticize and criticize and point fingers, but they'll never actually do anything about it because they just love the safeness of the paycheck that they continue to get. And this is what happened to, I don't want to say Kanye West yet, but it's definitely what happened to Jay-Z. Jay-Z never wanted to break away and do anything. He just wanted to make a ton of money. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and if, if one of these, uh, uh, one of the Hollywood elite would actually break away and do something like that. I think, I think, uh, you're right. I think uh, the government would screw with them immediately. I, I think they'd need to start looking out for for gunshots coming their way, you know, because that's just what happens when you break away and you present an actual threat to the establishment. I wonder if there's a way uh, in a decentralized sort of way. And I'm thinking about um, so so my editor uh, over at MRC TV, Eric, Eric Shiner, great guy. And um Eric used to live up in this area and uh, uh, we used to go to punk shows and stuff together. Um, just awesome dude. So he was invited down to this, uh, this uh, organization where they, they celebrate um, like good moral values in media. It's like a Christian organization. And there are a lot of people who are sort of behind the scenes in that. Um, uh, who was the guy who was married to uh, Meg Ryan there? Um, um, that actor he's come out as a Christian anyway, a number of people like Kevin Sorbo uh, and those folks, and they've been making great headroads um, uh, in, especially in Christian film circles uh, to put together films that maybe they're not being organized through, you know, giant corporations, but there's sort of a network of people where for various projects, they'll invest. And that, it's, it's almost a way to, it's, it's weird because you want to get the satisfaction of some sort of national recognition. Like, yeah, this is a national movement and this is big and this is changing everything. And yet these people are getting pretty good success. There's that recent film that, um, Kirk Cameron was in. And I think David has brought this up. It's been very successful and, Again, it's it's sort of going under the radar. It's and I don't know what threshold that is, and whether it is a successful paradigm. But it seems like maybe if a guy like Kanye can't 
you know, join up with uh, Kiyosaki and, 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 you know, start some, you know, bank or something like that. Um, maybe he's doing stuff that I don't even know. Maybe, and, and Kiyosaki's probably doing stuff like this. Maybe they're seeding people in small ways. I don't know. I, I you know, the, the inside me, I want to see some sort of, you know, great breakthrough where now, you know, yeah, we're giving the middle finger to Chase and, and JP Morgan and stuff like that. And we don't have to worry anymore because there are some good guys and they finally risen up and they're, they're thrown off the yoke. But again, they would become targets. So maybe they've already figured this stuff out. Maybe, you know, guys like Kiyosaki and so on, they know that they, they can't form these giant hegemonic things. So they're just doing it in small bits here and there. I don't know. I, I, it's again, looking through the list of things of how to avoid the uh, central bank digital currency too. And it really hits back on the same theme, which is we have to be outside of the system. The system itself is designed to trap right. you in it. Like you can be a, a Kanye West and you can be a Jay-Z, you can be any of the, like the, the billionaire club, but this money doesn't buy you freedom totally. Right. right. It can get you out of some things, but at a certain level, you know, and it really is the, the false God of our time. Uh, Cause everybody likes to do well. Everybody likes success. I like, I, I want to work hard for that, but you got to remember there's a spiritual component in this. There's something about the, the, the material world. I've said this on Billy's show many times. There's something about when that is your, your raison d'etre when that is every when you are you're only focused on this life and then what you can obtain and uh he with the most toys wins and all that's a dead you're already dead on arrival it's the same thing when when the when satan shows the it goes to the mountaintop and shows uh the kingdoms of the world this will all be yours just bow down and worship me and it's like well now in this world i mean we can we can see in real time that even being a billionaire and there are trillionaires too they don't they're not talked about but that's the billionaires yeah, you're just, you're, it's, it's based on condition. It's based on a condition of your behavior. And so the, uh, the system, let's go back to this article too. And I want to talk, this is number three, get organized locally, right? How to avoid the central bank, digital currencies, get to know the people in your local community. If you avoid CBDCs, many of the conveniences societies will become unavailable. You will probably be unable to shop at Walmart and large stores. Oh no. Please don't do that to me. Uh, please don't do that. How am I going to get my my daily sociological toxins uh, injected straight into my brain? Um, you'll have to become self sufficient and rely on your local community to obtain what you need. Says the Amish are incredibly successful in this regard. He's I'm not saying you should become 100 Amish, but we can learn how societies work together uh, in these traditional systems. So there's there's something there too, and David talks about that. I mean, I really do believe even, and and I I this wouldn't have been possible without their um, sociological experiment. COVID nineteen eighty four. So many millions of people now. Like I'm I'm homesteading. You see a homesteading movement. You see uh, parallel economies. People wanted to create f- clubs. Like you see these farmers and and people that are in the dairy and meat business. Even where I'm uh, am right now in the Ozarks. Like they're we're creating ways for people to exchange with each other. Um, so I think this is a good thing. And again, um, it's not a quick fix, but uh, organizing locally, uh, uh, Billy, I'll throw it to you. Um, I, you know, I, I think this is probably the solution, right? Um, at, at least for, for the short term um, is, is organizing uh, locally. Um, 
it's it's a lot easier said than done because well in particular here in the city right if if you're further out maybe you can find you know a a better way to do this right but people here in the city are do things in the city way so you have to you have to convince these people that first off there's going to be a problem uh and and we need to plan for it prep for it and 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 you need to change their their paradigm you know, in, in in order to have that happen, and then you have to agree upon a method of exchange, right? So it's it's uh, it's a little more complicated. But if we can pull it off, then we can avoid the system for a certain amount of time. Um, I I'd, I'd love to have some type of barter system. I love to I'd love to support you know local farmers, right? That they come here and 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 maybe you know, we can, we can figure out a way for them to be compensated and we can receive food in return, right? Or, or build our own shelter. This is all a recipe for disaster, by the way, just giving everybody a heads up. It's, it's the way to go. Right. And, and I think people should do it, but wait till the government get hip, gets hip to it. You know, it's, it's like the black Panthers, you know, wait till the government got hip to that very quickly. Right. And, and it was a wrap, right. They infiltrated and took it all apart. Every, all the benefits that they were providing to the community. That's out, right. Black lives matter, of course, is allowed to operate with no problem because they don't provide anything to the community, right. They're not really doing anything. Right. So they, they are, except for being a race baiters and the whole deal causing a division. Right. So they allow them to operate. Right. So when when a society, when a group of people figure it out and can live amongst each other in a way that's productive and healthy and separate from the beast system, the beast takes notice immediately. It's like it's like the eye of Sauron. It just shifts. It's like, what's going on over there? You know, and and they come take a look and they'll do they're going to try to take it apart. They're going to infiltrate it. So it needs to be a strong community. It needs to be a strong community. Physically, mentally, and spiritually, to pull something like this off, you know, it's it's uh, it's uh, I believe it's probably our only way out, un- unless you show me more things that I resonate with, Tone. But <laughs> as of right now, I-, I think it's our only real way to separate from the system, and it'll only buy us a certain amount of time. But that might be all we need, right? And we can come up with other ways of of uh you know deflecting and shielding ourselves from that and acting independently with that time that we're buying ourselves with with the local uh aspect of things but i i do think we need to you know get to know our neighbors say hey what's going on you know say just say hello to them you know speak to them nowadays people just go you know or they're on their phones or doing whatever you know like uh, get to know your neighbors create a create a connection and and, and let them know if something happens, food shortages are a thing. I think we can make an argument about, you know, inflation and how, how expensive things are getting. People can relate to that. So speak to that and say, how can we come together collectively, locally in this area to provide food for everyone? You know, that everybody can eat somehow, you know, and, and make plans. It's difficult. I know it's difficult, but it's probably the only way. I like that take. Uh, Guard, you want to expand on that? Yeah, I echo echo everything that that Billy Ray said. Yeah, Billy Ray, that that, I mean, you you put it down there with a with a punctuation mark. That's exactly the way that I look at it. And um, yeah, I I can't really add anything to it. It's it's perfectly stated. You know, it, it just you know it really goes to the sentiment that I think about sometimes when I'm driving around on my own, 
uh, you know, local farmer's market uh, nearby me. And I don't mean market, I should say it's a local farm. And, you know, I used to work in a farm stand as a teenager and, you know, I'd be out in the fields picking stuff. And, um, and this, this place is literally just around the corner from where I used to work as a teenager, picking corn, bringing the bushel baskets down the aisle, down the rows, throwing them in the back of the van, you know, washing off the cucumbers and all that stuff. And, um, so, uh, it, it's, I think Billy Ray's point about the Iosauron, you know, that's, that's the one thing. And, and it's tough not to think about that. You know, it's, it's or not to worry too much about that. You don't know how much to worry. You know what I mean? You know, you don't, when you're, when you're trying to take these steps, um, I think in a way there are going to be people, people who are the intermediaries between some of these, these loci and, uh, I don't want to sound too dystopian, but when I start to sort of imagine and dismantle what I see as the, the possible futures, I see these these different these different nexus points where people of community values are together, and then they they cross because they have resources, they trade, they want to get in touch with each other, and it's in these areas. And so many of these areas that the government's going to try to infiltrate. Again, I'll, I'll give you an example with the Free State Project. It, with the Free State Project, and if people aren't familiar with the Free State Project, I actually work with uh, the guy, the, the professor, who's, it was his idea, Jason Sorens. He's a professor at a college nearby. I saw him a week ago today, actually. We had lunch. And um, he's a great guy. And um, so the Free State Project was started as a way to bring more libertarians to one particular state so that they could get involved in politics and try to reduce the burden of government on people. And New Hampshire, um, unfortunately, they they came here, which has been fortunate, but there are so many people moving in from Massachusetts, New York, and Connecticut um, that you know they're escaping the world they've already created, the pressure cooker they've created. There's some of the steam that is coming out. And they're coming to New Hampshire with their collectivist ideologies. So the Free State Project has been effective in ways, but we've sort of been overwhelmed in numbers. But with those people in the Free State Project, they created this great network of folks who help each other. Um, there have been places where there have been almost like speakeasies, where unlicensed cooks and chefs would provide food it was like an unlicensed restaurant and you could go and eat there um they got busted you know it lasted for x number of years and then they got busted uh, the fbi has numerous times tried to infiltrate these guys and tried to get people to sell drugs they sniff out narcs very quickly in the in the free state project like they've got great instincts for that um but there are some areas and it, there's a give and take. So I, I think in a way, and again, I don't want to sound too dark and I don't want to compare our situation with the situation of the people in say like the Warsaw ghetto or any of the people during the communist era, um, you know, out in Siberia or Ukraine or anything like that. Uh, but I think some of the underground that we've seen in other historical periods of tyranny um, are examples for us. And I, I don't have enough knowledge about the operations of those and, um, you know, how they were successful or unsuccessful. And that might be, you know, a, a field of research. And I don't say this flippantly, 
uh, for me. But I think also I might be running out of time. I might just start to have to practice it and just learn as I go. I think all of us do, brother. I'm going to cover these yeah. last two steps, and then we're going to close out the show because I want to make sure I always finish finish listicle. Can't can't uh, not go through all the steps if you tell tell people you're going to. I was having such a great conversation, and uh, we're running out of time. But number uh, number three is organized locally. Number four is exchange value for value, and that's you know again this is where you go back to bartering, and and uh, and guard might have something to say after I get through this because this is like in the Star Trek world. There is no fiat currency. And then they had to invent a, a race of people, the, the Ferengi, and they only trade in, in like what they called gold press latinum. And that's yeah. a, there is no fiat currency in the future of Star Trek. One, that's the first thing I noticed after watching a bunch of the episodes. because I, <laughs> I didn't watch it when I was a kid. So I started watching it later in life. I'm like, hey, they don't have money, but they don't have because, you know, they're all on a bartering system kind of thing. And when they're on the Voyager program that uh, Guard wrote for but uh, but there is no fiat currency. Interesting. That's all. That's the only way they got to the future. Um, yeah. This is with uh, CBDCs. Governments will have perverted money from a technology that facilitates economic exchange into a tool of total enslavement. With CBDCs, barter doesn't look all that bad, right? That's, it might mean performing some landscaping work for your dentist in exchange for getting a cavity filled or washing a car uh, of your butcher in exchange for some ground beef. I'm I'm fine with that. We do that. I mean, that's again, gold and silver help facilitate that because it's a, it's a transferable store of value that is also money. And then you can, you know, that's how that works. Um, but yeah, you can always trade trade service for service and value for value. And uh, that's one way that you can get around. It's just when you really break it down, folks, we don't need the government for currency it's obsolete at best. It's a, it's a way, it's a tool of enslavement at worst. That's what it is. It never works out right. That's why the founding fathers of this country said only Congress can coin money and it has to be gold and silver. And they set it at a 16 to one ratio. And that lasted until the banksters hijacked it permanently with the uh, federal reserve bank. Number five is become a prepper to minimize the inconvenience of barter it's ideal to become as self-sufficient in many areas as possible. This includes stockpiling supplies yeah. and gaining survival and knowledge skills. If you already have what you need or can produce it yourself, that reduces the need to get it from others. Which all these things go together. What we're ultimately talking about is freedom and pushing back against the tool of total enslavement. And if I have to, I mean, I'm not being dramatic and I'm not being over the top here. If I've said anything in all the years and hundreds of shows that I've done and all the broadcasts, this is the biggest poison. This is cancer. This is what, this is the hill to die on is central bank digital currencies. You guys have the, the media is going to push this. I believe they'll elect a Republican to get it done. They'll, they'll do a selection. They'll put somebody in. It'll be, you know, part of making America great again or something. It'll be just like COVID-1984. They'll use that in the, to, to, to neutralize the only segment of the population that's big enough to push back against it. In my opinion, that's how dangerous it is. They need it so bad. They'll, re, they'll engineer every other aspect of our life to get it because once they do, I, they'll think that they won in totality. I don't think that they won in totality if they get it, but we're going to spend it could be generations doing this, pushing back against it, using the outside of the system. Um, 
I mean, what's the what's the latest? Uh, who wants to own Soviet Union currency? Anybody? I mean, I, I had someone, somebody give me one the other day through the shop. It's a big bag of coins, and in it were some Soviet coins from 1991. I'm like, hey, in 1992, it wasn't worth anything. That's kind of funny how that works out, isn't it? Well, one day you're riding high, and you're, you know, you got an iron fist, and you got, and then you break into 16 pieces, and your money isn't worth anything. That is the that is the the past future and present of totalitarian systems, they go away. And uh, we can talk about things that last like truth and, and beauty and, and, and uh, Christianity and all those good stuff and Western civilization, hopefully. Uh, but I want to give uh, Billy, I'll start with you uh, where they can, people can find you and, and all the great stuff that you're doing over on the infinite fringe. Well, thank you for having me on, sir. Thank you, guard for being here and thank you to David Knight for doing what he does. And thank you to all the people that are listening here today and will listen at whatever point you listen, what's going on. Thank you for hearing me out. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. I host a show called the infinite fringe on Apple podcast and the infinite fringe on uh, Podbean. So the infinite fringe dot podbeam.com. And we get into all sorts of stuff over there. Uh, So go check it out. We just put up an episode for Halloween uh, on giants with Gary Wayne. He's fantastic. It was it was a fun show. We recorded it about eight months ago, um, but um, I just put it up now and it's really good. And I'll put up some more uh, Halloween related stuff, but we're going to do some serious stuff. We have John Potash coming on. We're going to talk about his documentary. Mr. Tony Arterburn is scheduled to come on guard. I have to get you on. We're going to do that really soon. Um, who else do we have? Uh, Bart Sorbell. The moon landing guy? Never yeah. spoke to him oh, before. Yeah. I'm going to love to talk to him. That's going to be dope. And uh, uh, forget his name. Sullivan is his name. It's not Ed Sullivan. But that's what's coming to mind right now for some reason. Regardless, he's coming on. We're going to talk about uh, cinema, cin- cinema symbolism soon. We're going to do a bunch of stuff on the fringe. We're coming back. We're going to try to put regular uh, episodes out for you. So go check me over at the Infinite Fringe, uh, wherever you can find it. And uh, Soylent Green, people. That's another solution. It's it, it, it is people, but we can think about it. Thank you, guys. Billy has one of the greatest intros in all of podcasting. You got to go check out his show just to hear Art Bell in the beginning. It's like we're taking calls from time travelers only, and Billy oh. spliced it all together, and uh, it sounds like somebody's call. Hello, hello, uh, guard. Uh, you got about uh, you got about a minute thirty. Tell people where they can find you, sir. Yeah, you, thanks, Tony. Thanks so much. And yeah, Infinite Fringe is awesome. And that intro is awesome. I love that. So good. So good. Thank and you, hearing man. Art Bell. Oh, yeah, man. You know, anybody who's got Art Bell in the start, you, thumbs up, man. So, um, yeah. So if people want to find my stuff. Um, well, first, I, I want to mention it because I always forget. If people want to find my fiction, uh, go to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and stuff. I think um, all of them are on Amazon. But I have three novellas out. And um, uh, one is called Bite, the other is called Fishing, and the other is called Wall. And um, they're all actually tied together in this giant mosaic I'm putting together. So check those out. I've got short stories. The short story that I mentioned um, is called Whitechapel, the one about the pandemic. And that's in a book called Chiral, C-H, Chiral, C-H-I-R-A-L, Chiral Mad 2. And I'm, I'm in a bunch of these uh, books with short stories and stuff like that. And you'll see uh, that short story. But uh, otherwise, uh, uh, people can check out Liberty Conspiracy videos are on BitChute, on Rumble, and on Odyssey. 
Uh, we haven't started back up. It, there is a bit uh, a YouTube channel, but I haven't been putting stuff up there because I'm afraid they're going to just purge us. Um, so I'm going to start an entertainment channel on YouTube called Former Star Trek Writer Fellow, or Writing Fellow, for, Former Star Trek Writing Fellow. And we'll talk about quality quality writing and stuff like that. And then there's uh, my Twitter is at Guard Goldsmith and Gab, it's at Gardner Goldsmith. And then MRC TV. Uh, you can go to mrctv.org and then my Substack, Gardner Goldsmith Substack. And we'd love to get more subscribers over there. That'd be awesome. And I'm going to start doing a heck of a lot more. Guard, thank you so much. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honor. Uh, all the David Knight family want to wish uh, Travis a happy uh, wedding ceremony, the whole Knight family. God bless you all. And this audience, remember... TheDavidKnightShow.com, DavidKnight.gold. I'll be back Monday. Guard will be here tomorrow. Take care of each other. End of transmission. Life is a continuous confrontation with forks in the road. One is good, one is bad. And you could always wander completely off the road altogether and become lost totally and completely lost. If you take the wrong fork at one of these junctions, there is always the opportunity at the next fork to get back on track. But it is a constant battle within ourselves. You see, I have studied this concept for many, many years, and I have to tell you that if there is a real devil, like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Now, I'm not telling you that there's no such thing as Satan or Lucifer, I'm telling you this. If there really is a devil, that devil exists in the hearts and minds of men and nowhere else. Nowhere else. For if you take man out of the equation, evil ceases to exist. And there is left only the laws of the universe and the balance of nature. Put man in the equation, and before long, evil will rear its ugly head and present itself to the world. The evil is within man, and that is why it was called the fall. The devil never made anyone do it. If you do it, you did it yourself because you fell into temptation. For until man once again confronts the real nature of his own condition and of the world around him and accepts full responsibility for his actions without blaming anyone else or any devil, until then we will always be a puppet on the end of someone else's string. And ladies and gentlemen, when that someone pulls that string, we will dance.